0: There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, the July. One, two, three, set, go. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to episode 49 of the Power Court Hour. How you doing? First episode of 2021, and as always, I am your host Anthony Merchant, welcoming you to a new year of the show. I'm very excited to see what we're going to be doing on here, and uh, you know, I got the next few weeks planned, but uh, the future is unwritten, and uh, I'm very stoked to see where we go from here. You know, I mean, a year in now, and I kind of talked about it on the last episode, so I won't really go into it now. But I mean, just very proud of where we're at a year in, and uh, you know, it's time to. Time to find out new, you know, figure out new guests, who's doing new music. But another one, too, is uh, album anniversaries. You know, I I think it, uh, you know, it's no surprise, I would say, that, like, some of our most popular episodes, some of the ones that I've heard the most feedback on and the best feedback is uh, our interviews and uh, for album anniversaries. You know, like Midtown, actually, our most downloaded podcast is the one with uh, Rob Hitt and Heath Saraceno talking about Midtown's uh, Save the World, Lose the Girl, uh, you know, so, like, those are very popular. Actually, like maybe like our top three or four, I think, are maybe album anniversary ones. So like, I really love doing them. They're really fun. Um, I've been doing them on and off for years. Really, I mean, I did one with Stephen Jenkins um, to a point. I mean, I did it up as a throwback episode. but It's like literally like I think like a five minute interview. Yeah, you know, I always try to preface that because it's like, I mean, yes, I interviewed him, but it's like. There's interviews on here, and we'll even stay in, like, the 90s music realm, but it's like, you know, I interviewed Greg Eklund of, uh, you know, formerly of, of Everclear and uh, and of the Oolahs, a very, very good band. Uh, I love both of them, but anyway, I mean, I interviewed him, and our interview's, like, three hours long. I mean, I think maybe even three-plus hours. I mean, oh, great, great interview. I loved it. But it's like, you know, so when I say interview, I have interviews like that with Greg Eklund that are, you know, three hours long. And then I have an interview with, you know, like Stephen Jenkins and it's five minutes. You know, I also wonder, though, if people see that, like if you go look at the throwback episode, like, you know, like I talk for a minute and stuff beforehand. But I think it's like maybe a 25 minute episode. And all I ever think is like, do people see that and just, you know, look at the length of like the other podcast episodes and go like, oh, my God, that that interview had to not go very well. Which, you know what? Maybe that's not bad. Maybe it's kind of clickbaity You know what I mean? Like, people, maybe they see that and go, ooh, that has to be a train wreck. Like, it's 25-minute, like, Stephen Jenkins of Third Eye Blind Interview, and it's 25 minutes long. It's like, ooh, let's see this train wreck. Because let's be honest, I mean, I do that with podcasts where, like, you know, like, there's certain podcasts out there where you look, like, ones that, like, have a lot of guests. And, like, some of them will average, you know, like, say, like, 90 minutes. And that seems like a lot of them. But, like, you know, like a music podcast or, like, they interview people. And it's like, okay, most of them are 90 minutes. And then you'll see, like, one or two that are, like, 40 minutes long or, like, 30 minutes long or, you know. And even – and you know what? To be honest, too, part of me being cynical but also part of me, I think, also just doing this and, you know, talking to guests and whatnot, I also know that where, you know, with interviews – Ones that go really well, like the Greg Eklund one, like that can go on for three hours. Like a good interview can go on for three hours. And I can, like, I feel like it has to be, maybe I could be totally wrong. I mean, you you, hit me up and tell me if I'm wrong. And, And be honest, you can go, no, some of your long interviews are the shittiest. But I've gotten good feedback on long form ones. But like my thing is, I don't know that an interview can be going bad if it goes long. I, and maybe it can get boring. I will say that to be fair. I think it can get boring because it could get self-indulgent where it becomes more of just two people getting along, you know, on a subject. Cause that does happen where like, you'll go down a, a rabbit hole on something where you and the guest mutually kind of start talking about something that you mutually love, where if you're also into said thing, it's awesome. But if you're not into whatever, like specific thing we're talking about that really probably doesn't have much to do with them, uh, you know, or like their music or whatever. It's like, yeah, you know, you may not be so into it and, uh, you know, so you have to kind of balance that out, but, but yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm thinking of a new guests and, uh, the album anniversary ones, you know, I think they're always fun and, uh, you know, and and other ones too, bands, uh, putting out new music. So, uh, you know, hit me up powerchordhour at gmail.com. If you uh, have any that you can think of, you know, if uh, someone's celebrating, you know, like a 10th anniversary or 15th or 20th, you know, you you know, you get it. One of those like milestone years and, uh, you know, someone kind of within, you know, what I do on here, which is kind of broad. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I have to a point. I mean, I guess it's not that's not crazy to say, you know, I I was almost going to kind of defend it. But it's like I don't think that's true. You know, I have people, you know, I have everyone from. You know, I mean, I've had I've had Ken Stringfellow who's been in the posies and leg wagon and REM and Big Star, you know, and it's kind of in that like power pop realm. And then I've had like, you know, like I said, Stephen Jenkins and, uh, you know, Greg Eklund, who are, you know, Third Eye Blind and Everclear, which, you know, are huge 90s bands, you know, 90s alternative rock bands, you know, and then, you know, then there's Paul Cook, you know, you have that like early OG, you know, punk rock and, uh, you know, and then you have like early two thousands pop punk with like audio karate and, uh, you know, and just a lot of the episodes I do with like, you know, Kyle and, uh, and Zach, you know, just talking about like Boxcar racer and Blink and green day and stuff. And, you know, so I'm kind of all over the board in that sense, you know, which, uh, and I kind of talked about it for a second on corn tunes. I put a link to that in the uh, last episode, but I was on last month's corn tunes on the New Jersey, uh, pop punk page. And uh, I was kind of talking about that, about the radio show, but I mean also on here too. But like, you know, my thing is and if you listen to the radio show, I think you hear this and I think it would make like I don't know. I I guess I I look at it from, you know, a different point of view because I'm looking, you know, I'm on the inside doing all this. But it's like I don't think of the variety of guests and stuff as weird, but maybe some people do. But I think if you were to listen to the radio show and were familiar with the radio show before you listen to the podcast, I think my choice of guests would make more sense because I've always been like that. Like, we don't really... I don't think I have it on any uh, tags anymore, but like on our social media back in the day, <laughs> which is crazy to say, but I guess that's true. Like 2016, 2017, you know, almost four or five years ago. I mean, goddamn. So I mean, I mean, I guess kind of back in the day, honestly. Um, you know, I would have, I would have like our tagline, our bios, like uh, it would say from big star to Blink 182, and you know, that's that's very true. Like our, our show is you know, I have power pop, you know, like you'll hear a big star song and a replacement song, but you'll also hear like, you know, no effects and MXPX. And, uh, you know, then like the hold steady and horse and, uh, you know, then maybe like an offspring or Pennywise song. And then you'll hear like a dad's song or uh Menzinger's or, you know, or like a less than jake song or mighty mighty Boss tones going to be some ska in there and you know like so college rock and power pop and ska and you know emo and and I do hate the term emo but I do you I you know I've come to accept it with this podcast like you know if if uh you know now we're talking about new year's resolutions for this year but if we want to look back and look at the positive things like changes or things we did in our lives in 2020 um I feel like I kind of started accepting the word emo cuz I thought it was I hated it because I think I still came up in that era, the kind of Hawthorne Heights era of emo, where people said it in a derogatory sense. Like it wasn't. No one was really. I mean, yes, people were dressing "quote unquote" emo, but it's like I don't really feel like most people. If you were being called emo, I don't feel like it was in a good way. You know what I mean? Like no one. I think most people were trying to fight that term. You know what I mean? Like Hawthorne Heights, like that. You know, like I brought them up earlier, like, and that's a band I play. Like, you know, like emo is a term where now, now they've accepted it. And my whole thing is, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because like I said, I don't particularly love the word emo, but like they sell a shirt that literally just says emo on it. It sells like fucking crazy. But like my whole opinion on it, to be honest, I'm like, would I ever buy one? Would I ever wear it? No. But I think if there's any band who deserves to sell a shirt that just says emo on it, I think it's Hawthorne Heights. Like, I mean, if there was ever a band who who took a fucking lashing for, for a genre or, a, you know, a scene or even just being the poster boys for it. I mean, really, most people, I mean, you, you get the music, you know, the music nerds who, and look at, I love these bands too. But there's the, there's the ones who will be like, if you say emo, they're like, no, well, actually, emo is. And they'll say like a bunch of fucking 90s bands and stuff and great ones. I mean, I love The Promise Ring. And, you know, Jets to Brazil and uh I mean, and those are I'll be called fucking uh, a poser because those are even kind of like on surface ones. But I mean, even going back to like rights of Spring and stuff and look at it, all those bands are great and American football and, you know, different shit like that. But like, you know, I mean, you, it doesn't mean you have to shit on like Hawthorne Heights and stuff. They didn't ask to be like, like. it's like I only those dudes ever wanted to be called that anyway. So it's like grouping them into that was not their choice. But anyways, you know, like years later, I mean, obviously now, you know, in 2021, and I know they've been doing it for a few years, but like, yeah, like well a decade, well into like a decade after the fact, you know, selling those shirts that say that. In my opinion, it's like if anyone deserves to sell a shirt that just says emo, and once again, selling like crazy, like I know that for a fact, those things sell really, really well. Um, I think they deserve to sell that. You know what I mean? Like the just certain bands that like deserve Ooh, you know, this is a good, this is a good, because I always love to interact with people. So, like, any reason to make you all hit me up via email or social. The thing is, you can also hit me up social media, but uh, however you want to hit me up. But, uh, you know, who would you say would be the poster child for, we'll say, pop punk? And, uh, you know, I don't know that I should leave it that vague, because that's going to be, it's going to vary by the person, because really in my head, Part of me says Descendants, but then you're leaving out so much of the genre. And then if you say part of me also wants says Blink-182, but then you're also leaving out a lot of parts of the genre. So I guess to be more specific, ooh, who would be the face of, in your opinion, and hit me up either powercordhour gmail.com or one of our social medias at PowerChordHour Hours. our handle on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're not following us yet, uh, go follow us on there. Um, Ooh, what would be, (laughs) you know, you know, it would probably be a better pull if I would have thought of this beforehand, but this just came to me as I'm, as I'm talking here, you know, I mean, this is all pretty, uh, this podcast When I do these solo episodes. I mean, I write little, like, they're not even like full sentences. I'll write like little, just like notes of shit I want to get to, but it's like, it's all just kind of free flowing from my head. Which, I'm not saying that, like, I think anyone would be shocked. I mean, I think, as you can tell from the rabbit holes and just the sidetracking that I do, you can probably tell it's pretty freeform, you know what I mean? Like, that I kind of have an idea that I start with and then just kind of fucking go from... I'm kind of like a fucking lawnmower. Maybe this is a terrible analogy. This is why I need Kyle Steven on... Uh, he really needs to just be a guest, you know what I mean? Like, I just need to call him up every, like, Saturday night and do, ep- do an episode with him because he's a great he's a great guest. And every time I do an analogy, he always, he always uh, gets a better one. But like my thought is like, and maybe this is a terrible one, but I guess I already brought it up. So I'm going to say it. Um, I'm almost like a lawnmower where like you have to start, you know, you kind of like pull the lever a couple of times, but then I just start going, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know, I man, it's a terrible analogy, but like, you know, the, the notes, the little notes I have are kind of like the pulling and the tugging <laughs> and, uh, and then I just go you know, you just got to tug me a terrible, you know what, as it's coming out of my mouth, it's a terrible analogy for kid. I brought it up, but, uh, you know, getting back, getting back to, uh, what I was, what I was talking about before. I'd love if you hit me up. Uh, and I can also not blame you if you don't hit me up after that little, little tirade there. But, uh, if you want to hit me up, who do you think the poster child would be like the band for, I will say pop punk, but let's be more specific and say, Let's say 90s. You know what I mean? Like, I'll just say 90s. From that, you can take it, maybe that's epitaph, maybe that's fat to you. Maybe it's, uh, ooh, what would be another? I mean, that can even be Jade Tree. I mean, if you think like Lifetime or something, like, I don't know. Who do you think? And when I say that, I don't even, and see, that's the other thing. This is where it gets hard. I'm not even asking you your favorite because that's different. Who Who you want on there is different from who should be. So the poster child, who do you think – like that's why where I'm like Hawthorne Heights deserves to sell shirts where they say emo. Because if you look up emo, Ohio's for Lovers is basically the theme song for emo. Like – and it doesn't matter if you like that or not. You could be one of those, like I said earlier, one of those purists who's like that's not emo. Like, you know, like fucking early Jimmy Eat World stuff, like – which is all great music. But it's like, yeah, there's a lot of people who – who would be, I guess, mad? I don't even know if a lot of people like kind of a kind of a pocket of the internet. You know what I mean? Like a pocket of the internet. Like you know, a couple guys in Ohio, a couple guys in Iowa, a couple guys in like Washington. You know, but uh, but anyway, yeah, like '90s, just '90s pop punk. Like, who do you think would be? that band. And I'm going to ask you, I want your opinion. If I have to think, and like I said, I'm pulling this out of my ass as I'm, as I'm saying it basically off the top of my head. And I might have to, again, this goes to where I'm probably going to have to delete one where it's more of a personal taste than it being what would make sense. But I would probably say either green day blink Or no effects. Now, all very big bands, obviously, including within the scene. But no effects outside of the scene, you know, is a different story. Now, at the same time, I guess that gives them credibility. You know, but I don't know. I guess I take that out because it's like, you know, then I don't know that that's any better than those people that I was saying before who would talk shit on emo and say that Hawthorne Heights, you know, it's not emo like the, you know, American football is. You know, that kind of stuff. So it's like I don't know that we're going off credibility. I think I would have to take No effects out because it's like obviously a popular band, but never sold. You know, even their best selling records were never you know, they're like gold records, like they never sold to the amount. And I think culturally too, like and even then, you know, I and then if we're going off that, I feel like if it's a, if it's going process of elimination off of uh Blink or Green Day. I almost feel like you have to give it a Green Day because would Blink have happened without Green Day? You know, like like the, you kind of start thinking about that. I think Blink was... See, now I don't know though because, you know, Blink I feel like even though there's still obviously a very big band to play arenas and stuff, I feel like their whole cultural thing kind of happened once. And it, like it was a it was a nice run, but I would say from like 99 to 2003... Even 2004 maybe even stretch it like had a very big impact on like I mean what people wore you know Atticus and Macbeth and shit famous stars and straps like what people wore what people listened to like you know they were it's just like like how so many bands got signed after Nirvana happened there's so many pop punk bands got signed to major labels after Blink happened you know but I feel like it happened once now with green day. And I've talked about this a lot on the episodes where we talk about green day ad nauseum. And it happens a lot on the show because they're a great fucking band. But, uh, they've done that a few times which you have to give them credit for. Cause it's not an easy thing. You know, there's very few bands who can do that. And they did it in such a way where they influenced kids in like 1994. And they did it again with American idiot with like kids like me who are like 12 in like 2005, 2006. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they got teenagers basically twice like if you can if you can influence teenagers and in masses like that twice in your career like that's doing something that's where you kind of have to give them a pass with stuff you know like like and and we're going to you know and it kind of goes with uh I'll use this as a segue into tonight's topic And uh, I always say tonight, and I hate doing that because I'm used to doing the radio show because we do that at night. And a lot of times I pre-record these at night because obviously these podcasts aren't live, even though that would be very fun to do a live podcast once all this shit's done. Maybe do like one in front of an audience. That would be very cool. I don't know. If people are interested in that, let me know. Because actually, goddamn, uh, another free-flowing thought. I hope you enjoy these. But uh, if you can get, and once again, we can't do it right now. This is all pre, or I mean post-pandemic But uh, I'm actually sitting here in the WRFA studios. We have a performance studio upstairs. We literally have a place here, big-ass soundboard. I mean, a place for bands to play. Like, I could literally do a live event here where we could have some people in the audience have someone here like interview them. And then they could do either a solo set or, I mean, it's set up for a full band. I mean, we could get a full band here maybe get just a couple of you know people here and then have them both perform you know a couple people and then have them perform uh, afterwards um if that sounds like interest of you once again it's all hypothetical right now but uh since it is something i guess as i was saying and then i start realizing that it's actually a very big possibility let me know again a couple of things i want you to email me you know with those uh like the poster child thing and also yeah i mean seriously if you'd be interested you know uh jamestown new york again you know we're we're near buffalo new york so i mean that kind of gives you an idea like i'm not stupid i I highly doubt i think we may have some listeners here because we also have the radio show so i mean we do have a listener you know we do have a local listenership but uh you know we obviously have a lot a lot of other places i know we have a very big uh listenership in india i mean fuck if you'll fly over from india and come to this i mean I don't even know. Like, I mean, I guess if we were to charge for it, I don't know that I'd charge you. I'd probably say if you flew here from India or took a boat or like whatever, like however you got here from India, like I'd probably just be like, yo, like you're on the, you're on the guest list. Like, I think, I think you're allowed in like, you're okay. You're okay with me. Like, I think I've had bands put me on the guest list driving far less. You know what I mean? I think I've had a couple from just driving from here to Buffalo, which is like 90 minutes I've had a couple bands be like, you know, you're on the guest list because it's such a long drive. So uh, yeah, if you come from another country, you're on the guest list. If you come from like Wisconsin, uh, I'll give you a high five, but you'll still have to pay. Whatever it is, will be will be very cheap. I'm sure I'll be I'll be fucking uh, very fugazi about it. You know, it would probably be uh, the what was theirs. Theirs was five bucks. I don't know. Maybe mine will be five, but I mean, it's it's inflation, man. So I mean, it might be like ten now. You know. And that's the other thing Fugazi hasn't played in years. We don't know. there's probably inflation. Those fugazi tickets might be a little more expensive now, so you know we'll they need to reunite so we'll know but uh but yeah oh i I was bringing up earlier, and we're gonna get into this but but with Green Day, you know, a band who uh you know culturally did something like that twice. I look at it, you know, because as we look back at last year's music, because, you know, even though this is uh, the first episode of 2021, tonight's episode is uh, my top 10, my personal top 10 records of uh, 2020, and uh, very excited to get into them. You know, I've posted it on uh, social media and uh, on the radio show here. It did just air uh, a couple days ago, actually right on New Year's Day. Very cool, because the radio show... Uh, fell on Christmas this year and on New Year's Day. So got to do the uh, Christmas episode on actual Christmas and uh, do the New Year's one or, you know, kind of do the end of – I always do the end of year like my favorite songs when I did that right on New Year's Day. But, uh, you know, so I've been talking about them lately, but very excited to go through here really talk about them because even with two hours on the radio show, like to play a song off each each record and then also have time to, like, fit other stuff because there's so many other good records that, like – it was hard like i had to start cutting myself off cuz i was like if i keep talking like the the show's just going to get cut off like when it when it hits midnight like we just get cut off and then you know uh like a music loop plays it's not a radio show after us it's just kind of like a a music loop or you know like like just random random music kind of plays but um you know yeah so we'll get like cut off and like i could not shut up so i have a lot to talk about tonight so i'll get into it but yeah like with green day you know like they're ones and it's like You know, it definitely didn't fall in my top ten, but, like, I know people talked about Father of All Motherfuckers. Some people actually, though, I will say, though, it did land in, the in. I won't say a lot, but I did actually see it in some top tens. And uh, I have seen people defend it. Like, it's not like everyone hates it. You know, I feel like they're polarizing that way because as much as some people don't like them, to be honest, there are people who still do, like... Cause sometimes you you forget that like when when you too when you see too much negative shit online you forget that not, that that's not everybody you know what I mean and a lot of times it's not even the majority you know it's just the people you see on there so it's like that's kind of the case with Green Day like with their new album and with a lot of their records really like a lot of a lot of new Green Day is kind of like that where it's like yeah you'll see people talking shit but it's like there are people who like no it's not bad and like that's the thing is you have to think about it. it's like a band can hardly. To hit as culturally, like, as Green Day did in 94 and then to do it again 10 years later in, like, 04, 05, Like, to not, I mean, to do it once is amazing. To do it twice is, like, very few bands can do that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, there's very few artists who can stay at the top forever. Like, there's so many bands that you forget about that, like... You know, like there's bands who are together for like 30, 40 years and you look at them now and they're like legacy bands and like, you know, they're playing arenas and shit and it's like you forget about the like, you know, the rough time that, you know, the rough patch they had in the 80s or like, you know, same with that. There's a lot of bands now where it's like Motley Crue is one of them where it's like, you know, Motley Crue can basically just play arenas the rest of their career, but it's like people kind of forget the like 90s era where like Vince Neil was out of the band and they had John Carabi, you know, and they were like, you know, tickets were not selling. And I mean, it's the same goes for so many other bands kind of of that era who, you know, started losing it after grunge. But, uh, you know, I mean, there's tons of other bands, though, too. I mean, there's even big ones like Aerosmith where it's like they've had lulls in their career you know, there's, there's lots of bands who, you know, you think of as like, have always been big and legendary, but it's like, yeah, they hit some shitty, you know, I mean, even Bob Dylan has some shit records in that, uh, in that catalog, you know, very few people have a flawless catalog, but, uh, I I also, and and we'll get back to this, you know, I also get into that with my top 10 this year where some of the bands I picked, you know, what I love about it is a, a couple things I noticed, um, you know, and I'll tell you the month that like all these albums were released, Apparently, like, April was the month because I swear to you, um, before we even get started, I think, like, five of these. I swear, like, five of these albums were released in April. Like, so much was good. And, you know, I don't know what to make of that because I love so many albums that have come out during uh, COVID and quarantine. But it's like so many of my favorites came out in April Where it's like those were all written and recorded, you know, pre all of this, you know, those were all obviously done before any of this started. So I don't know what to make of that. You know what I mean? Because, like, because I wonder, because I, and I've asked like most of our guests, I'm like, you know, hey, during all this, have you been more creative or not? Some people say yes, some people say no. So it's like the music being released, it makes you wonder, like, you know, like, are they being more creative? Like, is it getting more or it's like, Maybe not because like some of these I think are just coincidences where then you look and you go Well, really they were written before quarantine. You know what I mean? Like they weren't really Maybe they were released during this but they weren't uh, recorded during it, you know But uh, you know one that uh, the the first one actually number 10 was released in april of uh, 2020 and a really really good one And I'll also say best power pop record of the year if we're talking power pop It's the number one power pop record of the year But uh, overall my top 10 of 2020 was high on stress with hold me in, and uh, this one was just so good. I mean, and I always talk about it on here, but like, got to represent Twin Cities. You know, I, I I only lived there for a year, but I loved the hell out of it. And uh, this band is all about the Twin Cities. They're from Minneapolis, and uh, everything about them really screams Minneapolis in the best way too. Like the other thing is like, I want to say that because sometimes people will like take the You know, because like replacements will get, you know, thrown on a, a lot of bands that I play like on the show. Not just for me, but, you know, just a lot of bands that I play end up being in that vein where, you know, music critics or other DJs and stuff will like, you know compare them to the replacements or like other kind of like college rock bands like that or like old legendary bands. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. Cause sometimes like, Oh, they just sound like a ripoff of so-and-so like what I love about high on stress is that yes, they have sounds that do, you know, they sound influenced by the replacements and by soul asylum and who's Du And, uh, and really would like, you know, like the replacements and soul asylum, like really that the both sides of it, you know, kind of both sides of, the we play fast and loud, but we also play, you know, nice, soft ballady songs, you know, that are very touchy feely. You know what I mean? Like we kind of get, you know, even even to steal from hair metal, even though they're they're probably the furthest thing from hair metal. Um, you know, every every bad boy has a soft side, you know, from the uh, from the power ballads, uh, the time life power ballads infomercial. But uh, yeah, so it's like that, that. I really do like because. They, they, in one album, kind of sum up the best parts of those bands, like I mentioned, like uh, Soul Asylum and The replacements. And really, to get more specific, like Paul Westerberg's songwriting and uh, Dave Perner's songwriting, where all in one record, they do what a lot of both of those bands did, like on multiple ones, where, like you know, it goes from here, here, and here in a good way. Like it's not a scattered album at all, but it's this great mix. Of, and same with power pop. As far as power pop goes, too, it goes on both sides of. There's songs that are the more slow, kind of more acousticy side of power pop, and then there's the more just fun side, you know, like the fun loud one with some power chords, and uh, you know, just really kind of fun loud, like rocking songs. You know, they're, it's just and really like, and that's the thing. As far as power power pop goes, this is the best one you're gonna find this year. You know, I mean, this is. This is like Stephen Bradley's Summer Bliss and Autumn Tears of uh, 2019. That was the best power pop of that year. That uh, was another one that kind of had that range, you know. I mean, I would say this one has it even more than Stephen uh, Bradley did. where Because uh, Stephen Bradley still kind of kept it, you know, like there were some faster ones on there. But kind of kept it in in a similar realm, I feel like, for uh, kind of, you know, like like elements of like acoustic guitar and stuff you would see throughout it more. Where on this you don't on every song like like there's a there's a nice ebb and flow of there's some songs with it that are kind of more ballady Then there's ones that like I said are just total rockers and uh, you know they they just do it they do it very very well and uh, Nick Leet their uh, front man I mean he's a really really good lyricist I mean one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite songs of the year honestly I would say is Dakota like I I can't it you know, it, it's very cool. I, I had him on as a guest earlier in the year um, And definitely go check out that that episode if you haven't heard it yet But I had him on back in like august or september and uh, you know we We're we we're just talking about like influences and different stuff with him. But uh, you know like before he came on I was listening to the record when he uh, sent it to me and like I loved the whole thing, but, like, that song, Dakota, like, right away just stuck with me. And, like, in my head, like, still even now it will just get stuck in my head. Like, I'll wake up and that will be one of the first things that, like, I, I hear. Like, like if you can think of, I feel like a lot of people have that or everyone has it really. I mean, I'm I'm definitely not, like, this isn't some special superpower I have. Like, I feel like a lot of people have a song that will get stuck in their head and uh that one ever since i first heard it, you know, i don't know, however 7 8 months ago maybe now, like that song will just play in my head. like it's such a catchy song and uh and it's funny cuz it's like it's catchy but it's a very it's also one of the saddest songs on the record i'd say. so it's like it's like catchy in a like in a weird way you know what I mean but I also like and I admit to that you know what I mean I know I know people like laugh at it now and like you know like call it funny names and shit like I like sad music like I'll just be honest like I when I look like and it's not on purpose it's like I just when I look like because I feel like I feel like I put my music taste under a bigger microscope just from doing doing this show. So it's like I have to analyze my my taste more by, do, you know, because I look at the playlists I make and everything. And it's like I'm doing this so much that I know what I like. And like I look at I look at it so much that that I feel like I uh, that I do realize that like my favorite songs are all just very kind of uh you know, on the on the sad side. I even know that. It's funny because I look at playlists and, like, not even notice it till after, like, I've done the shows. But I look back on old ones and I'll go, like, god damn, like, was I sad when I, like, put that playlist together? Like, that's a lot of sad songs in a row, you know? Like, and normally they'll still be – like, that's the other thing, too, is it's, like, it doesn't mean that they're not, like, fast songs. They're just depra- – you know what I mean? Like, they're sad. You know, it's the same – it's kind of the same thing with like Dakota. Like I mean, it's 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 still I guess not a super slow tempo song, but uh, you know also not a not a super happy go lucky song. But I mean, one of the best ones of the album. I mean, my top three songs off the record. Oh, and I will say I forgot to bring it up, but our Spotify page is going to have a playlist, an accompanying playlist for this podcast that uh, I picked three songs off each record. And uh, Put it on there. So all 10 records three songs each that is uh, 30 songs on there for you a nice big playlist Full of uh, music from 2020 that you might have missed now a lot of these will probably overlap with my top three, but I uh, Did them differently. So this is not these these may not be what is on the playlist This may not be I don't have the playlist in front of me But uh, my three favorite off hold me in were Dakota uh, stop right there and relax and, and, you know, like I said, I mean, it has a lot of range where it, like, has the ballads and has the rockers. And I do love the rockers the most because I will say Stop Right There and Relax are uh, two of those that really have that that side of, like. And even, you know, I brought up the replacements earlier. But, again, kind of kind of going more down the Paul Westerberg route, there's even songs on there that uh, Relax is almost that. Where I go, Relax can almost be a Paul Westerberg, like a solo Westerberg song, you know. And like I hate to I hate to make too many like because and I do mean it in a good way. Like they have they have such a sound that is that is very like like I would say more influence than sounds like you know like the great era of twin tone bands in the Twin Cities in like the eighties and nineties, you know. But in a good way, like they sound current, they don't sound outdated. Um, but I mean we're they're really one of the best. I put that them and Porcupine, Greg Norton from Husker Du's new band. Uh, I would say they're the best they're the two best like newer bands doing it in uh, the Twin Cities, you know and, and there's some great bands there, but like the newer ones, uh, I'd say like they're the two best ones. I mean high on stress put out I mean just such a great record. I mean it's really the mix the mix is what makes it it makes it their best. And like the other thing that's uh, that's really cool. I talked to Nick about it too when he was on is you know they're getting a lot of fanfare on this record. But the thing is is people kind of look at them as a new band and to be honest I even thought they were when they when I first heard them cuz this was the first album I heard them on but they've been a band for like since like the early 2000s like I remember now like 10 more than 10 plus years it's more like 15 plus years like I somewhere in that realm and uh, he said now more than ever people have been paying attention to the band which uh, is awesome I mean I'm happy that uh, it's funny I had I had a listener uh or or someone a listener and also someone who uh, was really rad on Instagram. I I don't know what the hell happened to him. Um what's up if you're listening to this? I think his account I don't know if it got suspended. I don't know if he if he turned it off. I like I don't know what happened, but uh I remember a listener who was like hit me up on Instagram. We just talked music and shit and uh he had great stories going to shows. Uh, he was a little bit of an older dude, but, like, so, like, he would see shows that, like, you know what I mean? So, like, he would tell me stories of, like, shows that uh, he, like, saw the Ramones at my college and shit like that. You know, like, things like that where right? I like, oh, goddamn, like, I kind of wish I was alive, you know, 10, 15 years earlier. But, uh, anyways, he turned me on to them, like, earlier in the year, and then a while later, uh, they hit, the band hit me up on Instagram and uh, asked if I wanted a download of their new record. And I'm like, oh, hell yes. Like I had heard – I remember what he sent me. He sent me, I think, two songs. And I can't remember what they were, but uh, I think they might have – I think they were some of the faster songs. I mean there's a chance that one of them was even stopped right there. But, uh, you know, he sent me those, and I liked them right away. So when, uh, when Nick – I believe it was Nick who sent it from the band's uh, Instagram account – he uh, sent me the download for it, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like right away, I, I loved it. I, had, I I asked him to be a guest like right away on the show. I'm like, "You got to come on!" Like after I heard after I heard the whole record, I'm like, "This is a band," because I I had to you know I had to get behind it and promote it. It's like I still can't talk enough about this record, and was so happy to uh, have him on and spread the word and play them all year, you know, including because it does you know. And, and I I'm a I'm a little sap about it, and I'll stop because like it's one of those things where if you had like a power cord hour bingo fucking card in front of you like there's just certain things like like every episode he's gonna bring up blink 182 he's gonna bring up this and And, like i'm gonna bring up minneapolis and like every fucking episode so like i won't bring up a lot but like you know i do love it because i you know like i miss living there and it and just the whole sound of them in the best way i mean like i mean that in the best way possible like they have this sound that just it makes sense they sound like they're where they're from like, like, here's the thing, what I mean by that. Like, like the Goo Goo Dolls are a funny example of that. Because if you listen to early Goo Goo Dolls, they sound like they should be from Minneapolis. They don't sound like they're from Buffalo to me. They sound so much like Husker doing the replacements and, like, what was going on with the Twin Tone, like, whole scene back then. That they, in my opinion, don't sound like they're from Western New York at all. Like, not at all. If they were not... And you have to you have to look at it from different eyes. Obviously, it's hard now to see because they're just a massive fucking, like, arena band. But, like, if you look 30 years back, you know, and not even, go back 25 years to, like, A Boy Named Goo. And it's like, if that was not a huge record and you listen to that, you'd be like, I was like that would be, a, you know what I mean? Like, that would just be a Minneapolis band that would probably play shows with, like, Soul Asylum and stuff, you know? So it's like it like I think there's certain bands that that really sound like where they're from. And I think High on Stress is one of them, you know, and uh, just awesome. So go check out Hold Me In. Number nine on my list is Wildlife. I loved this one. Year of the Snake. Another one that came out in uh, April 2020. I'm telling you, like half these records came out in this month. It it was a good month for uh, albums. And it's funny, too. uh, Year of the Snake here. Uh, even though it came out in April, this thing has summer record written all over it, like right away. And it's funny, too, because the first time I really, uh, the first time I listened to it, I remember it was like, I might have even gotten it like a month later. So maybe it was like late April, early May. But I remember it was one of those, it's funny to think of now, because when I say nice days, it was one of those, it was one of those nice days after the winter where it's like, it's 50 degrees out and you think that's nice. Like, like one of those where I, any other time of the year, 50 degrees, you're shivering, but like, it's been so goddamn cold that it's like, since it's not 10 degrees out, you're like, this is nice. But like, anyways, it was like one of the first nice days in that sense. And, uh, you know, I put my headphones in just went for a walk and I, you know, just a nice long, like, like mile long, miles long walk. And uh, just listening to that record, I mean, even then, like, even though, you know, once again, 50 degree, maybe not summer weather, but, like, just being outside with those, you know, that kind of element with people around, things going on, you know, it, like, things things being, and again, to a point, because it was 2020, so, I mean, not, maybe not the hustle and bustle normally, but, you know, still seeing other people walking and uh, cars going by and all that shit, just the the activity of uh, life and seeing all that kind of summer-like And, uh, you know, just a great, great soundtrack for that, you know, basically. But, uh, yeah, very, very good, you know, out a little early for it. But no matter what time of the year, but really summertime, just good, good uh, weather music, you know, like like it's just fun. It's a fun rock and roll record. Like 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 what I wrote down, like one of my kind of thoughts on it. And I mean this in a great way of like turn like a good album to turn off your head and just enjoy the music like there's nothing that you have to sit here and overthink. It's not an album that you have to like digest, like sit there with the liner notes and try to understand the, the like lyrics or like what the songs mean. Like it's not that at all. Like it's a fun, like, and honestly, this is the first wildlife record that I, that I, this is the first one I'd heard of them. I'd never heard of this band before. They've been around since like, they put their first album, I think like 2010 and uh, they're just such a fun, but like, I would say start with this album, but definitely go check out all their other ones too, because they're just, they're from New York and they're just a fun New York rock and roll band and they just don't take themselves seriously. You know what I mean? Like they're not like, and actually a band who you, that I talk about on here later, they're on the list, but like, you know, there's bands like the strokes and shit that are like, you know, the New York rock bands from like, you know, definitely earlier than a uh, wildlife, but you know, If you say like New York rock scene or whatever, I think there's certain bands you'll think of and the Strokes might be one of them where the Strokes kind of, you know, kind of take themselves more seriously and stuff. Wildlife kind of has those same influences of like that 70s rock and punk, you know, New York Dolls, Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers, the Ramones, uh, you know, like bands like that CBGB scene and, uh, you know, like like similar similar influences but more fun and lighthearted, like it's not a parody of it per se, but it's like, you know, some of it is more tongue in cheek, you know what I mean? There's songs like Sacre Blue on this one. That's like, you know, just so it's very self-aware, but it's very like tongue in cheek and ridiculous and like kind of over the top, like in, in a good, I won't even say over the top, like it's in a good way. Like, like they're, They're tasteful like it goes again with balance just like with high on stress the kind of balancing sound like wildlife's good at that where like they balance it where it's like no the songs aren't serious but they're also not so cheesy that it's like a novelty listen you know like it's a fun because that's the thing like like I want to I want to give it credit like it's a fun song it's a fun album to listen to and kind of turn your head off but it's like it's still good to listen you know it's still really like the music's really good it's a really like well written, uh, you know, like album, and I and I do think too, you know, because like like I said, I think this is probably their best album, but I don't think it, you know, it's not their first. They have a few albums, but uh, I would like to hear them venture more because like like they they do have that, you know, you know, as all good bands do, you know, they have that song or two on one of their records that kind of like hints at like maturity. And uh, automatic. I mean, one of my favorite songs off this record. My my three favorite songs off this record actually are uh, automatic, kiss and tell, and deathbed. And kiss and tell and deathbed are kind of continuation of that really fun rock and roll that they've uh, kind of become known for on the last few records. Like I said, I have a couple albums out to go check out. But uh, you know, very very fun. Uh, again, like like kind of tongue-in-cheek they're not super serious i definitely get a replacements vibe on deathbed for sure and kiss and tell is just such a great just rock and roll song like it's criminal that this album didn't like like get and who knows i mean sometimes after you know sometimes it takes a while for for it to take hold i mean i think this is maybe one of their first albums that was getting a bigger push to like radio but like it really should get like some rock radio play, like including Kiss and Tell. Like I could hear that on there. But and, but actually though, saying more would be automatic, which I was about to get to. Uh, this song, I would like to hear them venture more on their next album because it's this real sign of like progression and maturity for them. Like it's a very, it's not out of place in a bad way, but it's different. It's like track four or five on the album and it's different from the previous songs like it kind of hits you out of nowhere in a great way. And it's this really good kind of indie rock indie pop. like they go from doing kind of a Ramones influ, you know, Ramones, Johnny Thunders influence like rock to then doing more of a. I don't know that it sounds straight up like The Cure but there's a Cure influence like there's almost they almost go from being very 70s rock influence to then more 80s like alternative new wave influence and it's really cool like I would like to hear them because the other thing is is it's different from from the the rest of the album really cuz they kind of go back into that rock sound for the rest of it but like it still sounds it doesn't sound totally out of place where it doesn't work like sometimes bands do that and it's like yeah it's left field but it's not good and not in a good way this one it is but i would like to hear them do this more because i think it still fits enough where i don't think i don't think it would shock people you know maybe not even a whole album but it's like i think whatever their next album is i would i would like to see them at least do that even for a few songs you know what i mean like you don't have to dedicate you don't have to lean entirely in but it's like to at least kind of entertain it a little more, I would not mind hearing uh, hearing things more like automatic. But I mean like Kiss and Tell and uh, Deathbed. And I know I have Kiss and Tell on the Spotify playlist. I don't remember if Deathbed's on there. But Deathbed is a great – it's a great album opener because like that's a good uh, – it's a good representation of them because it's like right away it's really this like – for one, it just has that spirit of that who gives a fuck spirit of rock and roll. That's really lost like it's lost on us now. And like that's a to bring up Paul Westerberg again, because once again, all great bands are influenced by their placements. There's nothing wrong with it. And not and they don't even sound so much like the replacements, like, uh, you know, as much directly influenced by them as like say hi on stress. But they still I would say those dudes are probably Matt's fans. But like something they do have is that very just like the replacements where it's like. They got a beer in one hand. They got a cigarette in the other. They don't really give a fuck. Like, it's a fun, like their music, and actually I will say that, including in an era where bands don't really do music videos, or when they do, they're just like live, you know, it's just live video. Um, wildlife puts out some great, and not just for this album, but like their music videos, you got to go on YouTube, find their YouTube page. And uh, and actually, if you're looking them up, Wildlife is spelled W Y L D. L I F E. Uh, so if you're looking them up, yeah, they're not, they're not spelled like, uh, you know, like wild, like, like it sounds, but, uh, yeah, you got to go on YouTube and look them up. They, uh, the music videos are hilarious. They're, they're absolutely hilarious. They did a couple for this, um, uh, for this, uh, album, but I mean, they have a couple for their other, for their other ones too. Like I said, too, they have a couple albums out they have music videos out. I they're a smaller band, like that's the thing. So I feel like there's Like, they're they're another band—I mean, once again, I actually kind of like High on Stress, where it's like they're a band who's been around for a while who maybe are just finally getting their due, which is nothing wrong with that, you know? I mean, hell, to go back, you know, to go on—to go back to High on Stress for a second with kind of the Soul Asylum comparison, I mean, people forget it, but Soul Asylum, Grave Dancers Union— is, like, album number six for solo song. Like, they were a band for, I think, at least 10 years, maybe more like 12 or 13 by the time that album came out. Like, they were not a new band. Like, even though they were kind of, I think, called that, you know what I mean? Like, like with critics and, like, you know, probably, like, awards and shit, like, they were the furthest thing from a new band at all. <laughs> you know, like like, really, they were not, they were not, they had... They were on multiple – I mean, they had, like, eras at that point. I mean, there was already the Twin Tone era, and then they were on, what was it, I think, Atlantic. And then I forget who they were on. They were on maybe Geffeners. I think they were on a different major label for – oh, and I think Hangtime was also on uh, maybe, uh, like, American or – I forget, a major label. And then I think Grave Dancers Union was on a different major label. But, uh, yeah, you know, just going back to that where it's like, you know, kind of a band who, you know, it, which is I think is awesome because it's like, you know, so many bands and I totally get it. But it's like, you know, it's hard to stay around for super long if you're not doing anything. And not to say these bands aren't doing anything, but I mean, like, you know, to be able to keep going for as long as they do uh, is fucking awesome. And, I mean, those are the bands you should be supporting, you know, because it's very hard to keep a band going. So the ones that do... Um, it's great to see them start getting acclaim even if it's not right away you know because it's because it's the thing too is a lot of times people want like the new hot bands and it's like that's not always where it's at I mean so many bands um on my list this year are far from new bands like they're not like they've been around for a while like a lot of these are not their first rodeo uh you know I, I won't give away I guess who's coming on you know like some of the other people I have on the list later on but like you know, there's bands on here who are putting out albums 40 years in, and it's like the fact that I'm like comparing to them to like critically acclaimed records they wrote decade, like before I was even born. Like, I mean, they, that, that means they did something right, you know, but, uh, moving on here, uh, number eight, my favorite record. And, uh, another one that I got to have, uh, the singer on and had a blast talking to another one of my favorite interviews of the year. I had a blast talking to Nick Lee from high on stress and coming in at number eight, ultimate fake book with the preserving machine. And I shit you not another one released in April, 2020. And, uh, again, this was not, I mean, I, I talked to Bill McShane from ultimate fake book. And, uh, like he said, did, did not uh, really plan that. Obviously it just kind of happened with the, uh, you know, and early on they like, that's kind of the other thing. Like I, I it obviously is a weird time to release music, but the people I feel bet like musician wise, For, like, people releasing music. The people I feel bad for were the people who released music in, like, March, April. Mm, I would probably – I might cut it at – I guess I would throw May in there. I would cut it after May. Like I, I feel bad for them because a lot of those were obviously planned before, like March, obviously, definitely planned beforehand. I would say April too, because it's not like you pull a release date out of your ass like four weeks ahead. You normally have a release date for a while, so it's like you know those those couple months were probably planned ahead and didn't know that. And you know, I mean, they're you know, I don't know with Ultimate Fake Book. I mean, we talked because you know they're a band who. They have done like this is the first album in years. I mean, they did put out an album like a digital only album like 2010, but it's like they just kind of put that out. This is the first one I think they've really pushed. And I don't know how long. I mean, decade decade plus like 15 plus years. I mean, we're really it, it's been quite a while, you know, like like this is a and this is what I'm talking about. Like another band who definitely not their first time, you know, doing this but one of their best. I mean, the preserving machine, this thing is, uh, I think it's one of their best albums. I mean, like if you were really like, if you were new to the band, like, and it's funny, like I knew who they were, but I, I had heard maybe a couple songs throughout the years. But didn't know them that well. But when this album came out and including, you know, it was the beginning of the pandemic. So, you know, a lot of hanging out at home. Um, when I saw it come up, I'm like, I should check that out because they're a band where, okay, even though I didn't know many songs, I knew that they toured with a lot of bands that I loved and were kind of within, you know, the genre of music that I love. They're a band where it's just like, yeah, I haven't heard many songs, but I know I should like them. So I listened to them and yeah, right away I'm like, oh shit, like this band's great. Like where, where have I been? Like this album, I was on this right away. Like I will say that even though like I I knew the band, but kind of slept on their old records and never really went back and checked them out. um, This right away I was on like by... This was not an album that took a while to grow on me. You know, some records, even on this list, like, and I'll tell you when they do, it's like some albums take a while to grow on you. And uh, this was not one of them. This album was fucking awesome from the first time I heard it. I mean, they outdid themselves, you know, including, again, for me, it's not like a band, like, this is a band who has to shake off some rust. Like, this isn't a band who's, like, putting out a record every two years. Like, they they had, which, you know what, though? At the same time, I do think there's times where that's good because, Having to write and having those deadlines and shit, I think can can be detrimental to talent. And uh, you know, eventually, I think that can catch up to you. Not always. Sometimes people work good that way. I think it also depends on that. Some people, some people work under pressure better. Some people, I think, work better when it's like, yeah, who gives a shit? Like you know, when we're not making a living off this anymore and we're just doing it for fun. Like Bill McShane. Like I forget exactly what he does, but I know he he does like something. He works in like film, like TV and film, like really cool fucking job. But it's like, again, like he's not, you know, I don't think he really relies on ultimate fake book in any way, shape or form as his income. You know, that's not how he supports his family, you know, so it's like they can just do this for fun. And that's and that's what I mean, too. Like I said, it's like I don't know that the Corona like destroyed a lot of live shows. I don't know how many live shows we were really going to get from them. I also don't think. They uh, all live, you know, he lives in, in California, and I think maybe the other dudes still live in Kansas. So it's like, you know, they're in different places. Um, hopefully when it's all over, they do play shows, though, because there are there are some great energetic songs on this record. You know, I mean, I'm, I miss live shows anyways, but uh, this is one of those records where there's certain songs where I'm just like, I want to hear that live. I'm like, there's even a couple songs where I told them, I'm like, you know, I know people don't love hearing new songs right away. But uh, they're one song, one of my well, really my favorite song off the record, and and really is my favorite ultimate fake book song. I would say uh, Manhattan, Kansas. I'm like that song, even though I know it's new and not everyone loves when bands open uh, a live show with a new with a new song. I'm like that's a fucking out. Al- that's a that's a live opener. It's not an album opener. It's not the first song on It's like even like track five or six. I think. Uh, well, maybe not. Maybe it's more like four. Um, but yeah, like it's one of those songs you open a set with like the energy is insane. Like it's so good. Like it's just one of those songs where I'm saying it's like for a band who hasn't, who hasn't put a record out in, uh, I mean, even that last one, 2010, that was 10 years ago and, uh, really hasn't done much. And, you know, they play shows from time to time. Like they actually, they did play some shows with descendants here and there and, you know, they've gone back together. Uh, you know, every, every now and then in the 2010s, but really we're very inactive and to just kind of come back and do this, um, you know, is, is fucking insane to have something as good as this whole album. I mean, really just this whole album to have something uh, this good. And the the other thing too, is like, it's a fresh sounding album. But it still sticks to their best, you know, to their signature uh, Ultimate Fakebook sound. Because they have enough albums and stuff under their belt where it's like, you know, they definitely have a sound that people are kind of, you know, they're, they're, they've they been around long enough where if you say Ultimate Fakebook to people who know who they are, they're going to have a sound conjured up in their mind. You know what I mean? Like, they've been around long enough for people to do that. And uh, I, I think just a perfect mix of pop punk and power pop. And, uh, and again, I mean, talking, talking to Bill, like that was one of the compliments I gave him. I'm like, something that I love about your band is that I think you could play with Newfound Glory. And then you could turn around and go play a show with like Superdrag. Like, you know, like, I mean, they they have so much, which that's the other thing. Shout out to them because they, they uh, reference Superdrag. They, they name drop Superdrag in a song in a After Hours at Moline's on this record. Um, which like that was the other thing, like I said, how this album grew on me the first time I listened to it. I mean, that's track three on, really technically track two if you, because track one's like a thirty second intro, but uh, so like technically track two on the record. But it's like he fucking references Super Drag and just name drops him, and I'm just like right away, you're just like, oh my god, like I love this album instantly. Like there's no, like there's no growing on me. I'm like I fucking love this album, you know, just right and the and the energy again, like just the the energy and that perfect mix of like pop punk and power pop you know again, like i mean I think and and that's a that's a gift and a curse, you know what I mean it's like i I think they're too power pop to call a pop punk band and they're too pop punk to be called a power pop band, you know what I mean like power pop purists wouldn't wouldn't like that they you know have have similar you know they have certain elements that are similar to you know like pop punk bands. And then there's pop punk fans who are too narrow minded to like, you know, the the tendency, the more kind of, uh, you know, like pop tendencies of power pop, you know, with the with the hooks and, you know, sometimes layering things and kind of doing more than just three power chords, you know, but uh, such a talented band. I mean, Bill McShane, a really, really fun guy to talk to. And uh, this band this band wrote a great record. And so amazing as a trio, too. That's the other thing. It's like there's such a loud band, and there's just three of them. And it's amazing what they do. Like, really, just as a trio. Um, I mean, I, I always notice that. Like, as a musician, it's just something that I really respect. Because there's, like, playing as a trio, I think, is fun. Because it is kind of, there's a challenge there. Like, it's freeing in certain ways. Like, I think, I, and I've talked about this on the show, but, like, a lot of bass players I think you'll see who play really interesting stuff or intricate shit are in, like, trios or at least bands where there's only one guitar because that just, there's less there's less to try to cut through. So, it's like, you know, like, in things like that, I think there's more room to do interesting shit. And, like, with, uh, and also the challenge of being, like, as loud as someone who has the more conventional you know, two guitars, sometimes three guitar kind of thing, you know, or keyboards and, you know, whatever element, what other elements you want to add. Whereas with this, this is just three dudes just playing loud fucking music, you know, like, like they're loud. Gra- you know, I mean, you could even throw away the the power pop punk, pop punk kind of, uh, you know, labels and even just call them a loud fucking garage band, you know, I mean, cause that's what they are and they rule at it. I mean, they're just, they're so good, you know? And like I said, this was my, uh, This was my intro to them, even though it's not their first record. But it's like, I would say this is, if you don't know this band... Start with this record, it's a great introduction to the band. I can say that firsthand, I mean, I can tell you that and uh, be completely honest. But uh, moving on to number seven, someone I didn't have on the show but was supposed to have on, and uh, shit just got messed up, so uh, it was all good, but I, I it was too bad I didn't have him on because I would love to talk about this record. Uh, Jeff Rosenstock with No Dream, and uh, finally, finally, we are breaking free. From the uh, stereotype that all my favorite albums came out in uh, April of 2020, because this one came out in May of 2020. Folks, I am moving on. And uh, No Dream, this is possibly Jeff's best solo record. Um, we Cool used to be my favorite. And even, and I liked No Dream, but even up until maybe two months ago, I still probably would have put We Cool over this one. But then I – and I kind of remember when it happened. It happened back in, like, November. I was driving, and I was going through, like, all his solo records, and I got to We Cool. I think I – and I wasn't going in order because I, like, listened to No Dream before I listened to We Cool. And when I got back to We Cool, I realized I like it, but I I like it in spurts more, whereas No Dream – now, don't get me wrong. I have my favorites on No Dream, and I do think there's there's sections that are stronger than others – but it's so much more of a record that you listen to front to back than his other ones that I go, to be honest, I think this is better than We Cool. So I'm really, I, I really think No Dream kind of, even though I liked it pretty instantly, it slowly became my number one, you know. And and really like the last few, I mean, he's been so good. He puts out a record almost every year now, I think. I. I he didn't put one out last, I think last year was the first time, and that doesn't mean not new music, I think he might have put new music out, I just don't think he did it under, uh, just under Jeff Rosenstock that I can think of, maybe I'm, now I'm trying to like, because I'm second guessing myself, because I'm like, because he does release music almost every year, it's like, I'm like, oh, so it's almost weird that he did it, but I don't think he did but uh this was a this was a surprise release too, and again, I mean, there was probably more plans for it. I don't think it was was recorded during the pandemic though actually though no, you know what it it was not, but it's very the interesting thing about it what makes it interesting is it really wasn't written during the pandemic, but like some of the songs very socially like go with what started going on around around the time that this album was released, and really just twenty twenty in general you know it was kind of one of those albums where like you know, which is kind of sad. It's not really a good thing, but like you know, there, there's certain things that like you listen to a record and you go like, you would have thought that he wrote this like the month he put it out. You know, it's like one of those. It's one of those instances. Which also, I mean, that's credit to Jeff and the uh, you know the way he writes. I mean, is amazing. And the and the thing is too on this is you know there's songs that kind of you know like socially or conscious. But it's also an album where, like you know, and and I think Jeff's always been good at. It's always been a strong suit of his. But he does it really well on here. But just really introspective and honest lyrics. You know, even at times where it doesn't look great. You know, if you really read, it, he's one of those guys too. Where I think he does it well. Where like there's a lot of Jeff Rosenstock songs that like sound like these happy go lucky, like kind of demented pop rock songs. You know what I mean? Like kind of demented Weezer. Or something like like I don't know I don't know if that's a good comparison like you know but like it, it's kind of more like you know what I mean up uh, the musically sometimes he is upbeat where you, then you listen the lyrics and you go it's really a sad song you know what I mean like the lyrics are extremely depressing you know it's like either things like feeling out of place or growing older and growing distant with people. Uh, You know, not being happy with who you are or your accomplishments or just self-doubt or living in the past, whatever it is. It's like he sings about these things. You look up his lyrics and it's like, holy shit, like, you know. Are they relatable? Absolutely. But are they really honest? Oh, like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's extremely honest. So I think he does. He does both. Well, I think I think he's someone who can write songs outwardly where it's like, hey, here's what's fucked up with the world. But he can also write songs where it's here's what fuck, Here's what's fucked up with me. You know, it's it's both. He shows you what's fucked up in the world and he shows you what's fucked up with you. You know, he does both. And I think on No Dream, he does that very, very well. I mean, I think, like I said, this is this is his strongest, I would say, uh solo record. And I think it brings everything that he does together. Like there are some bomb the music industry vibes on this where like 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 I think on the last few records, because I think he started getting picked up and more embraced by like the even kind of like the pitchfork crowd, I feel like, and and even like NPR and like Just different publications and like like uh, mediums and shit that really beforehand when it when it I don't even know what I'd say like like knowingly wouldn't support him just maybe didn't know because it was kind of not their thing but like you know like like I think he got more credit credibility from places where he may not have before like I think maybe even Rolling Stone is now written or reviewed. Some of his stuff, so you know, just just from a bigger from a bigger place and bomb the music industry was. So it's like I think on some of the some of the last couple albums, you know, while they are good, I almost feel like they're more of that serious side of him that maybe he ventured and did more of because there are more eyes on him from those different places. Maybe I'm totally wrong. You know, this is just a outward uh, thought, but like I think on this one, it's like you hear like it is a mature once again. It's a mature album. Like the song "No Dream," the title track is an extremely serious song. And that's one where I think it's very political and very social and about, you know, the times and, uh, and, uh, you know, there, there's songs, there's songs like that. They're very serious, very mature, but there's also songs where it's just musically. He does fun shit. And, uh, you know, kind of goes back to kind of that fun quirkiness of, of the, uh, you know, whole Bob, the music industry thing. And, uh, And I don't know, and I want to say ska, there's not, I don't know if there's any really ska on this album, but, uh, you know, just that that fun shit that Jeff Rosenstock used to really do that uh, I don't think you heard as much on the last few records. I think you hear on this one. Even the album cover, I mean, the album cover is uh, kind of fun, you know what I mean, like in a fucked up way. It's kind of like the album, you know what I mean? Like I was saying, it's like it's fun music. It's fucked up lyrics set to fun music kind of, you know, like, but I think he outdid himself. I mean, I think it was absolutely amazing. I think it's some of the best stuff he's ever written. And uh, my three favorite ones off this one were Old Crap. That's my favorite one. Uh, Airbnb and Scram. And uh, those were all, those are all just jams. I think those are, uh, those are really good. I think Scram, I think Scram is a single. If it's not, it should be. It's not even the best song on the album, but I feel like that's, uh, that's probably the single you know, but, uh, moving on number six, and this is one that I was anticipating, uh, for quite a while for a couple of years now, really. But, uh, and, and breaking away, finally, this one came out in October, 2020. So, uh, not too long ago. See, it's not all, it's not rigged, uh, bands that release music in, in April did not, uh, pay me money to be on this list. But, uh, yeah, at number six, Get Dead with Dancing with the Curse. Um, I absolutely love this one. Like I said, I've been waiting for quite a while. Uh, ever since finding them with uh, 2013's uh, Bad News, I've, I've loved them. I mean, this is, this is a band who really, to pinpoint the sound of Get Dead, like, I don't even know. Like, they're a band. It's interesting. Like, if you really asked me to put one genre on them or call them something, I don't know what you'd call them. Like they're a punk band, but they're also—I mean—they've had releases that are just acoustic. There's some that aren't straight, but they're like semi-acoustic ones. They're like—they're all over the place in a good way, though. Like they're—they are a band who is so—I mean, this album—I would say of all the records—and like like I said, if you can't tell, like I love a record that that has range, where it's like there's fast songs and they can do a couple ballads, but it all works. You know, I mean, really. If your album sequences well and takes me on a on a roller coaster in that way, not to sound cheesy, like that's that's a, I mean in my opinion, that's the indication of like a really good record. And get dead, I would say of all albums, this one might do it the most, where it's like you can't really pinpoint. I mean this the album really starts actually. I mean Sam King is a great frontman. I, I love the dude, great charisma. Uh, an absolute. I got to have him on as a guest. I mean, he's an absolute. He he's a very interesting dude. Just charismatic, really, really likable guy. Uh, very funny. Any interview I've ever heard him, like podcasts I've ever heard him do, he's uh, always very, very funny. And uh, and another one like with Jeff Rosenstock, brutally honest lyrics. I mean, extremely brutally honest lyrics. And uh, this has, I think, this album has some some of his best vocal performances. But uh, he he did used to rap. And uh, this album, I mean, starts with him, uh, I mean, he, him rapping before the beginning of the first song. And uh, it just, it sounds amazing. I mean, he raps on that, and then it's like there's there's songs on here that are just straight up punks. Like, I mean, fast, like neck break, you know, breakneck speeds, um, you know, really. And, and really, I mean, they're a fat record band. I mean, really, songs where you're like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a band who would be on fat records. And there's other parts where you like, it doesn't sound at all like anything that you would hear on fat records. You know, I would say, I mean, the one comparison I think that they do get and they've gone on other records. And I would say this one as well. And I think is a good comparison would be Swing and utters in the sense that swinging Utters is another one where they're a hard one to categorize. I mean, I mean, they're a punk band. I mean, yeah, they're on fat records. So I also think that's another reason to call them punk man. But it's like they're also more than that. You know what I mean? Like there's just all these different elements. And I mean, like, honestly, like if I'm if I'm thinking off the top of my head, like if we're talking genres and I mean the it's a mix of genres and influences. I mean, ska, punk, reggae, hip hop, singer, songwriter, like, you know, I mean, it, it's just so uh it's just like they really are. They're one of Fat Records' most unique sounding bands. But, uh, I mean, if you've never listened to them, I, I, I've brought up with a couple of these albums. But, I mean, this is this is another one where I would say if you're not familiar with the band, um, what better place to start with them than with Dancing with the Curse. I mean, this because uh, it just goes all over the place in such a good way. But you can still, like the thing is, is it's a great album to listen to front to back. But you can also listen to these songs individually, you know, like and they all have different flavor to them. So it's like. If you're in a certain mood, like, and I'll, and I'll tell you, like, my three favorite, and this goes back to me being a sad bastard and loving sad songs. Uh, my three favorite are Glitch, Confrontation, and Pepper Spray. And uh, Confrontation's not. Confrontation's probably the fastest song on the record. That that song's what really comes to mind when I said there's some songs there that are just straight up, like, fast punk songs, like, sound like Fat Rec songs. And this is one of them. This sounds like a song from a Fat rec Band, like you know, like this is again, like when live shows come back. This is this is a live song. This is a song they play. Like maybe this this could even be a, a live set opener. But uh, as far as Glitch and Pepper Spray go, they're probably the two saddest songs on the record. But just so unique, like just so really good, and done in a manner where it's like there's no band to compare them to. Like there's really. There's just not, I don't know, I don't know what to say that they sound like on those songs, like at all. And they just do it so, so well. And, uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, like that's a, that's a one that you just, you have to listen to them for the, for yourself. Like they're not a band that you can fit them. You can't, you can't really lump them in with other bands really. Like even with, even with Fat Records, like, I mean, and I've saw them live on the Fat Records tour uh back in two thousand thirteen with Lesson Jake, Masked Intruder, and Anti Flag. I mean, they fit in with all those bands. It's not like they're like the odd man out at, at like live shows, but it's like still like they're they sound enough like them where they fit on there, but they're still unique in a good way where you remember them. Cause it's like, yeah, they're not like every other band on the on the bill, you know. But uh absolutely great. Get dead, dancing with the curse. Go check it out. One of the best of the year. We are halfway through, and uh, now number five, "Violent Soho." Everything is a okay. I gotta be honest. This is an album, and uh, this one we're going we're going back to it. I we broke away for a second, but this one was also released in April twenty twenty. There was some good shit. Going on in, uh, I mean, this was the only good shit. That's the thing, like, there's very few things you can say were good in 2020, but there was a lot of good music. That is the one, it's literally the only thing I can think of that was really good, was that there was a lot of good music. There was tons of it. I mean, it was very hard to put a top ten together and uh, even outside of that like on the radio show like because I play other shit like I like I had enough times so I could play stuff outside of just songs off my top 10 records you know I played songs off all these albums I'm talking about right now but I'd play other stuff but still it was so difficult cuz I started thinking it's like there's there's still so many songs I missed I mean there were even people I kind of felt like a dick cuz like there's multiple guests we had on this show this year that I didn't get to fit on the playlist. And nothing against them. They put out amazing music. But, uh, you know, it was just hard to fit it all. But uh, getting back to it, Violent Soho with Everything Is A-OK. This one, but it's funny. This one came out back in April 2020. And uh, I really I really liked it when it first came out. And uh, I've never kept a big eye on them. They're another band who's been around they're not a super old band they but they've been around now i think since like 2007 but really been, they're one of those bands where they've been around since like 2007 but i think got more serious and put out their first record in like 2010 and uh you know Jesus stole my girlfriend that's what i've always known them from you know that was kind of like a minor hit here in the states and uh they're an australian band always been bigger uh, over back in their their home country of australia but uh you know uh, you know kind of Kind of knew that song, and I heard a few songs here and there. Like, and that's the thing is it really fucking sucks that they've never been bigger here. Like, they're big over there. Like, I think I think they're pretty damn big. Like, I think even this record has gotten some, uh, some like, really critical acclaim uh, this year, uh, you know, f- for them. But, like, over here they really haven't. But I don't think it's to anyone's real... Like, I think people really tried. They've been on a couple different labels. Like, I know they're on Side One Dummy for a while. And I think Side One Dummy, I remember really them promoting it. Like, really knowing about them and shit. You know, I think really trying for a while. And uh, they're on Pure Noise now. And it's like, I, I mean, this one too, though. Again, I mean, this one's been out long enough now where, I mean, you know, it came out in April. Now it's January of 2021. Um, this one did not get the fucking credit it deserved, you know, just like their other ones. And again, over here, critical acclaim where they're from, but uh United States does not get enough love. But, uh, you know, like I was getting, like I was getting to, I heard a few of the singles before the album came out and I was blown away. I didn't realize there are new songs either. I'm like, I was just like, Oh my God, I've slept on this band. And then I was stoked to be, to see that the songs I was hearing were a couple songs off the new album. And I'm like, Oh, they have a new album coming out, like even better. Like, so there's more shit like this and uh, right away i mean so good i mean the first song off of it sleepier i mean right away it's a rager i mean the, this album is just such a front to back it's just such a good album like this is really obviously in my top 10 i mean that you can it's probably safe to say that i like all the songs on all these albums but there are some albums where more than others if you're going to listen to it you need to listen to the whole thing you know it's not jump to this one song it's like no start right away and, uh, and they also lure you in with those with a good album opener because Sleepy is one of the best songs on the record, and it's just such a solid album opener. You know, like, right away, it just – it gets into it. Like, they don't fuck around. Like, it, it's very – they're no nonsense. Like, this album's really well-produced, and it sounds really good. Like, the guitars sound great. Everything sounds nice, and it's well-produced. But it's not overproduced. You know what I mean? Like this is an album that they can recreate as a four-piece band live. Like this is this is not something that is going. You know, I mean, there's not. You're not going to find synthesizers on here. You're not going to find a bunch of studio tricks. Like this is just two guitars, bass, drums, one singer. I don't even think they have any backup vocals really. And uh, and their singer, I don't know the name. I don't know his name off the top of my head but uh just such a great fucking just rock alternative. I mean, if you've never heard them, I mean, the obvious comparison that probably everybody says is Billy Corgan. I mean, he 100% I mean, he he does sound very much like Billy Corgan. And I do think that's why cuz they get they they have that 90s vibe to them. But what I love about them is they don't have a nostalgic sound. They just have a 90s vibe like it sounds like it's from 2020 like Violent Soho doesn't sound old. You know what I mean? Like there's some bands who try to purposely sound like an era like we want to sound like we're from the year 1984. It's not that they sound like they're from the 90s. They just like they heavily sound influenced by that era of music. But do it so well, you know what I mean? Like I would say that it's one of those things where it's like if a band is really influenced by Blink One Eighty Two, and there's some, there's so many that are, but they end up being just shitty versions of the band. This is when this is a band who's influenced by them, but do it really well and end up doing it in a way way that where they're not just a shitty rip off of Blink. They're influenced by them, but are a great like you know like direct influence off of it but a great, like, different product on its own. You know, that's kind of Violent Soho. Like, very influenced by 90s music, but doesn't sound like a carbon copy. You know, just same with that, where, like, their singer sounds like Billy Corgan, but they don't sound like a carbon copy of Smashing Pumpkins. Like, I'm sure they listen to Smashing Pumpkins, but, uh, you know, they don't sound straight like them. But what I love about his voice is he can do, he just has a great, like, scream or whine, whatever you kind of want to call it to him. And, uh, just does a really good job, you know, like his phrasing and everything just vocally does a great job on this record. And, uh, and after listening to this too, I definitely, I went back through their catalog and, uh, I mean, I love all their stuff. They really haven't put out a shitty album. They've put out a few, they're, they're just another one, you know, like this is a band. And again, it depends if you're listening to this in Australia, like we do have a listenership over there. You probably know who Violent Soho is. They're not a small band by any means and uh, i don't know about the uk and stuff like i don't know what they're like in uh canada either like you know or any or anywhere else uh there's a song on this record called oh canada and uh you know uh like i don't i don't know every every country i don't know the deal but uh yeah over here just not a very big band at all you know not uh, they they really should be they really should be like way bigger and again this album this album just has so like, as far as rock radio goes this has such rock radio playability like there's there's no reason and outside of just my show you know what I mean like yeah like I obviously play them on the power chord hour but it's like I mean like big commercial rock radio should be getting high, should be getting behind a band like violent Soho I mean this is this is one of those they're just, they're just such a great band and another one that uh, I I think uh you know really makes you miss live shows because like you just the songs you want to hear live, like these are just fucking ragers. Again, they're just, I'll, I'll just keep saying that because that's just all you can say about it, is this album's just full of fucking ragers. You know, that's why that's why it's number five. That's why it's so high up on here. And uh, my top three off this one, uh, Sleep Year, like I said, I mean, that's just such a great album opener. Uh, Pick It Up Again, that was, I think, maybe the first song I heard off the album, and I absolutely love it. I, I, I think it just even where it sits at the album in the album I think is just perfect. Like its placement, its sequencing, and uh easy is my other one. That's a that's another really uh really, really good one of just wall a good a good song with like wall of guitars and that whole uh that whole quiet, loud dynamic, you know, that a lot of bands do. That, you know, once again going back to that like nineties influence was a very big thing back in the day. But uh yeah, such a great record, go check it out. Number four, and uh, I, you know, something I love about this is that if you would have told me that this was my number four record before even, I'd say maybe three or four months ago, you would have told me this earlier in the year. I've been like, "What the fuck?" Like, re- like, really, like that band? And, uh, and I don't mean that to be in a bad way. I just was not was not a band that was really on my radar. But uh, X with Alphabet Land, and I mean a band. Definitely not new. Probably the uh longest running band that is that is on my uh countdown here, my list. Uh they've been a band now since like 77, 78. So I mean 40 plus years for them. And uh they ended up putting out this year one of their greatest records. And once again in April 2020, this is like Jeff Rosenstock, and maybe even more than Jeff. Uh this this is like hauntingly shocking like how how much their lyrics pertain to this year and and had i mean they they've they've said it a bunch of times in interviews like this was all written and recorded well before the pandemic started they had no clue it was going to happen you know there there was no you know there, there's there's nothing here of oh the pandemic starting we better hurry up and write a record about it like nothing like that but they wrote many many songs that uh, you know definitely have to do with a uh, with a shitty year and and kind of the the things that uh, went on in a uh, 2020. So very fitting for that year. But I mean, so amazing that a band and like I said with X, like I liked X enough. I know who they were or who they are. Um, I knew Alphabet Land came out and like I've, I know the hits. Like I know the song Los Angeles. I know of, uh, nausea. And uh, like a few other songs, I can't can't think of the names, but like, you know, like I heard them throughout the years. Like I know who X is, the songs I heard I like enough, but was never a band. I'd never heard a whole record or anything. And uh, admittingly, yeah, I mean, over over the summer, I mean, you can basically hear me fall in love with X through this podcast. I watched the decline of Western civilization and just from there went back and listened to Los Angeles, the whole album. And uh, just was blown the fuck away and realized why it was so critically acclaimed, you know, and was so beloved. And then I, and then from there went through all the rest of their records. And, uh, yeah, and then that's where I eventually listened to Alphabet Land, you know. But this was like in August or September, you know, so a few months after it was released. And uh, just absolutely blown away. And uh, I'd seen the good reviews, though. That was the other thing was like I wasn't too surprised. Like I was surprised in the sense of... X wasn't a band that wasn't on my radar earlier on in the year, so the idea of them being on my list, let alone my fourth favorite record of the year, would have very much surprised me. But it doesn't surprise me in the sense of all I saw was critical acclaim for it ever since it came out. People were like, this is one of their best records. Like, holy shit. And this is another band. They have not put a record out since 1993, I think was the last time they put out a record. Hey Zeus. Was their last one in like '93, and this is the first one with uh, original guitarist Billy Zoom since uh, oh my god, I mean since the '80s. I don't even remember what year. I mean, thir- before I was even born, they haven't done an album with Billy Zoom since before I was born. And uh, to come back, and yeah, they've played live for years now. I mean, they, they're a, they constantly tour live. So I mean, they've they've been around touring, but it's like for a band who hasn't released new material in literal decades. They put out this, this album, I put up there with the first four records, the first four uh, albums produced by Ray Manzarek, which are the, I mean, basically regarded as, you know, the classic, the classic era. I put them up with those, you know, and uh, I mean, that's X at their best. I mean, those first four and this, that is, that is X. I mean, that's what makes them, that's what makes them legends, you know, and like, Hey Zeus has a few good songs. See How We Are has a few good songs. But they're not, yeah, they're not classic records. They're not by any means the the songs or the records that make X who they are. And uh, the one record, I cannot think of the name. It was either Billy Zoom's last one with them or it was their first one without Billy Zoom. Uh, was not, I think it was their, I think it was maybe their second one without Billy Zoom. I mean, their, I'm sorry, their first one without Billy Zoom. I cannot think the name of it. It's their like fifth record. But uh that one, I don't think there's any songs I, I really enjoy on that one, I gotta be honest. See how we are has like three or four I really like, and uh Hey Zeus has a handful that I'm like, they're not bad. But uh not Alphabet Land. Alphabet Land is fucking amazing. I mean, like front to back, this album is and, and again, it's like like, I love that. Like, look at, I love when a fresh new band comes out and blows us away with their debut album and it's on your top 10. It's one of the best things you've ever heard. Like, I love that. But something that I also love is a band that's been out for fucking ever. You know what I mean? A band who, again, not their first time around the track. I mean, they, they are, you know, I mean, I think everyone in X, like, they're all, like, in their 60s at least. They're all at least in their 60s. And, like, they're putting out a fucking punk record. Really, it is a punk record, I mean, with more energy than bands half their age. You know, even more than half their age. I mean, this this shit has more energy than half the bands who put out albums this year, like, in their 20s. You know, like, just so much energy to it. It has that wit, like, John Doe, the wit of him. And, and I mean, vocally. I mean, John Doe and sound amazing. Like, really. Like, it. Like it, you would not think that so much time has passed. Because, like, cause again, it's like you think a lot of times bands go away, they try to get back together. Reunion records don't always work. Like, that's the problem with it, where you have to be very – like, reunion records are very good and bad because sometimes they can be very amazing, but a lot of – and you know what? Maybe more times than not, they can be terrible and, you know, a bad mark on a band's, like, legacy. But, honestly – this is a good mark and and kind of you know like cuz once again i want to completely shit on the last few x records that they put out which once again by last few i'm talking about like you know 30 year old records at this point but uh you know like i think it makes up as far as their legacy goes it's putting them back on a track that i think gives them really to continue to write the book you know the of like the history of x it lets them continue write to write good albums, you know not not to be remembered as a band who wrote good albums, but a band that does write good albums. Like, cause all around the board, this isn't like I'm not I'm not some crazy guy for putting this so far up here. Like I know Lord Jane Grace did. I see tor- tons of uh, different publications putting this up there as one of their favorites. So you know I'm definitely not the only one saying this. You know I'm I'm I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here when I say it, but it's like this whole record. Um, you know, and it, and it does, it has an old school X, like it has that old school X vibe, but it's like, which, which at the same time, one of the best things about X is that I don't think any album really ever sounded the same. That's part of what made them special. And the same thing goes with this, like it fits perfectly in their catalog, but it doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, it's not good because it sounds like Los Angeles part two or something like that. Like, it's their it's their own thing, you know. Like, but it it truly is though. It's as good as those first four records, one hundred percent. And uh, and Billy Zoom, I mean, as far as guitar playing goes, this is the best guitar playing you're gonna hear on record in uh, twenty twenty. This was the best. Like to hear him because no one plays like Billy Zoom anymore. Like he's just so Chuck Berry influenced and just such a just you know. He's a rock and roller playing punk rock. You know, he's very much like, and even though Johnny Thunders didn't particularly like to be called punk, you know, Johnny Thunders had that where he was, he played rock and roll and he was very influenced by like Chuck Berry and shit. But like he also played with that punk spirit, you know, like, and it's kind of the same thing with Billy Zoom. It's like Billy Zoom's a very talented technical player. And like, he's very like, he really was like classically trained and knows his shit, but he's playing punk rock and it's amazing and you're hearing you're hearing him play in styles that you really don't hear anymore so it's like it's an amazing thing to hear on a record on tw- in 2020 you know it it's so cool cuz it's one of those things where it's like he's not reinventing the wheel in the sense of you know it's billy zoom it's classic billy zoom it's not a new thing but it's something that you don't hear anymore so it's unique cuz he's the only one doing it you know but uh yeah i did not know i'd love this album like i did but ended up being so good and uh what i'm hoping from this is that, uh, you know, it means that we get a follow-up in the next few years instead of a few decades because, I mean, all the fanfare around it, people love it so much that I'm thinking, I would hope that means they don't waste time. I mean, I would hope that means this isn't the last the last X album. And, you know, not to not to be dark, I mean, I think they'll all still be with us for, you know, for quite a while longer. You know, being in your 60s is uh, still pretty young these days. So, I mean, they, they still have decades left in them you know, hopefully, but still, you know, as you get up there and you get older, you know, it's like, yeah, let's not let so much time go in between. And uh, I would love, you know, I, I hate to sound so, I sound like such a shitty fan, like, great. I love this new album. Now give me another one. You know, I, I don't mean it like that, but I'm like, you know, let's hope that, uh, they don't waste. Cause obviously they're, what they've shown us is 40 years in, they can write a good record. So let's hope that X uh, X doesn't wait another, you know, 40, 40 years to, uh, prove to us again that they know how to write a fucking song and uh, my three favorite off this i mean i love the whole goddamn thing but uh, if i had to pick my three for one my favorite for sure is serno uh, de berger's back and uh, that one was originally actually on see how we are but this version blows that one out of the fucking water like yes it's an old song re-recorded but it's re-recorded in a totally different style and uh and actually uh, billy zoom did not play on that one So, uh, yeah, this is the first time Billy Zoom plays. on, And, I mean, the way he plays, there's such a... I mean, there's almost a James Brown influence to it. Like, there's almost this, like, soul influence. And it's just so fucking good. Delta 88 Nightmare is just a punk rock. Like, you want to talk about just a good punk, like, song? like, And, again, like, talking about how they blow... Like, the energy of this record blows, like, younger bands out of the water. Listen to Delta 88 Nightmare, another one that just... Blows any current band doing it out of the water like so good and water and wine Which what I love about this song is this is one that doesn't Like this sounds so current it sounds like X in 2020 But it has this like it's an older more mature refined X, but it still has that like sarcasm and wit of their of just X you know what I mean like X of any era like Like, they didn't lose it. You know what I mean? They didn't lose anything. That's what I love about it. And that that one, Water and Wine, is a good example of that. So, yeah, X Alphabet Land, my fourth favorite of the year. We are getting in here to the top three, and uh, we're closing it up with uh, number three here, Bomb Pops. We got Death in Venice Beach, March 2020. This one was very early in pandemic and uh, this is a band I do feel bad about. Like I mentioned, with a few of these bands, you know, there are some in here where I mean, I think everyone probably would have at least played like a release show and played a few, few of them. But I think of uh, of probably all the bands that I mentioned, they I would say Bomb Pops were one that had a lot of plans for uh, tours and release shows and really promoting this. So I felt really bad for them. But the Bomb Pops with Death in Venice Beach coming out in uh, March 2020 and again just one of those you know like i said this is the era of uh, bands that i feel worse the the like worst for for uh, releasing music cuz they had no clue you know a lot of bands where it's like you know if you're releasing if you released music in july you knew what was going on you know what i mean like you realize what's going on what the situation and circumstance is but you know in march you don't know that this is coming obviously so you know i definitely feel bad for them i i know i've seen like jen put a lot of stuff on social media how bum she's been throughout the year that, uh, you know, they've been able to play these songs live and I am too. Um, they're a great live band. They're a very fun live band and uh, tons of great songs on here that I want to, that I want to hear them play live. You know, another album that uh, makes you want to hear these things, you know, just the energy from them live, but uh, a, a killer summer record. I mean, this is, this is quintessential. This is another one. This is kind of like wildlife where it came out kind of at the, you know, like at least where right from, it depends where you're listening from this, but you know, Kind of that that end of winter getting into April where like, you know, and it, it was also the beginning of the pandemic. But like, you know, weather-wise, it's where it's not particularly, again, it's not particularly nice weather. But it's like the first time it's been 50 degrees in months. And it's like it's kind of that like inkling of nice weather. And when you listen to this pre-summer, it would get you stoked for it. But really listening to this, you would think it would have came out. And uh, you would think you're listening to a record that came out in like June or July. You know, this is is an album you roll the windows down and drive down like the Pacific Coast Highway listening to, you know. But what I do love about it, too, is like it's very like as far as straight up pop punk goes, it's the best like just straight up pop punk record of the year. And it kind of continues the sound of like Fear of Missing Out, but it's darker. You know, it's definitely a darker record but kind of continues down that road. Same with like Deer Beer. And I've said it a hundred times, but like, you know, they're another one where they're a newer band, but they've been around for, you know, like a decade now. So I guess really not a new band. I mean, I guess if you've been around for a decade, I wouldn't call you a super new band. But like, they're really been coming into their own the last few years, really since signing to Fat Records, I think. They've been releasing their best shit. And uh, I mean, I, I love to continue to see it because you see the trajectory of them and you go, like, they, they do with Deer Beer, you know, like, with well, Fear of Missing Out, I'm like, I want to see what they do next. And they put out Deer Beer, and I'm like, this is a great, like, I love the direction they're that they're going in. And, uh, you know, like, like, they keep doing it and keep impressing me with where they're going. And, uh, you know, like, again, like, they're a band who I think knows what they're good at, and they stick to it, but they keep perfecting it. You know, like, I think they know, they write catchy pop punk songs, they know that they write them well. And they keep doing it, and they do it they do it great, like Jen and Polly both sound great on this one, and uh you know I, I love the dual vocals of them both they they both sound the best that they've ever sounded and uh again i i like I like that it's a great follow up to fear of missing out, and it kind of you know it, it it's not too it doesn't veer too far from that sound. But it's a great progression, and also has a nice dark edge to it, you know. And uh, they, I think they sound great on Fat records. Like they're a great fit for uh, Fat. Just again, like that classic pop punk sound that I, I think really fits with, uh, you know, just with what that uh, label tends to have, you know. And uh, just really is like it, you like it right away. Like this is this is one of those albums you like right away. It's like no nonsense. Like it's not an album that you have to digest or really think about. It's like it, it's it's the second you hear it, you like it. And, uh, you know, my, my three favorite songs off of this one, I would say, are easily Notre Dame, Radio Silence, and uh, 13 Stories Down. But, uh, yeah, both Jen and Polly, both of them outdid themselves with their song. Both both of them on their songs on these ones are great. Now, uh, coming in number two, you know, funny with uh, Death in Venice Beach, the Bomb Pops wrote an album that grew on me right away. But number two... This is an album that took a few listens to like. And obviously I fucking like it because it's number two. But uh, The Strokes with The New Abnormal, once again, April 2020. Um, I mentioned this, though. It, it's funny. I mentioned this on uh last episode. But, like, I do think the one unfair advantage, and you can probably see it in the dates that these albums were released, is I also think that comes out at a time where you had more time to listen to it. Like, I think albums released in, like, November and December and stuff end up being records that you don't realize how good they are until, like, early next year. Like, watch. Like, come March or April, I'm going to realize how good some of the records that came out later last year were. Like, there's going to be albums from, like, November and December of 2020 that I'll be like, oh, those were genius, and I just didn't notice it. You know, and, like, March and April were, it gave you enough time. And also, I feel like the first couple months you forget about releases just because more stuff keeps coming in. And that's really the beginning of a lot of stuff coming out. You know, you only get a couple of records, January and February, and then records start really coming out like February or like March and April, and including this year, obviously. And uh, so, yeah, you know, you kind of forget about some of those. And I feel like that's just a sweet spot, you know, kind of the uh, the like March and April. But uh, yeah, the strokes of the new abnormal. This one came out in April of 2020. And, uh, again, this was a huge surprise to me that I liked it as much as I did, let alone it being uh, my number two of the year. Uh, even and, – and, like, don't get me wrong. I like the stroke. It's not so much, like, with X, like and, – and it's not that I didn't like X, but I was just like, I like the songs I've heard, but I wasn't a – I don't even know what I'd call myself an X fan in the beginning of the year. Whereas the Strokes, I uh, I got into them a few years ago. I was definitely late to the Strokes, but I've been listening to them for at least a few years but, uh, you know, I haven't been a big fan of the last few records. Um, I'm, I'm really like most other people. I think the first two records are amazing. I think front to back, they're great fucking records. Like really, like like really, really good. Like I listen to those albums like crazy um, still. Like are, are just constantly in rotation. Um, after that, like uh, First Impressions of Earth. I think there's good songs, but it's not great. And then everything since then has been that, you know, I mean, the first two records, great front to back, everything since has been a couple good songs here and there, you know, like maybe, maybe half of the record, you know, maybe a couple of the records I'd say like maybe half the songs are great. And then the rest were just kind of like meh, you know, now, now, so I really wasn't expecting much. I was like, I'm a casual strokes fan. I really like the first two records, but they've put out more records that I was more like yeah they're okay than I thought were masterpieces. So, you know, I, I kind of took that in consideration, you know. I didn't I didn't expect them. I, I knew I'd check it out, but I didn't think it was going to be I wasn't expecting to hear my favorite album of the year. And uh and when they put out at, at the door out, I was I didn't like it at all. I'm like this is it's going more in that direction again where it's like it's too synthy like kind of new wave influenced, you know, I mean, not straight new wave, but kind of new wave influence, that 80s synth influence. And, uh, you know, just kind of a, you know, it's really, it's a long song. Not a lot happens. It never really builds up like you want it to. And uh, since then, I mean, I like it. I, I do like the song. I will say, though, it's probably still, it may be my least favorite song on the record. I do like the, I do like the song. But it's only a nine. It's only a nine-song album. All nine songs are good. But this is probably my least favorite. I would. I would say if I had to think about it, this, is "At the Door" is my least favorite song still. But I do like it now. But I mean, what I'm saying is, beginning of the year, finding out the Strokes have a new album coming out. I don't have that high of expectations. I hear "At the Door" and I don't like it at all. So I go. I don't. I don't really expect much from this. Like from the get go, I'm not expecting much. And then um, whatever they put out next, either uh, Bad Decisions or I think, yeah, they did. Bad Decisions, I was a little more on. Again, I didn't I didn't love, I didn't think anything indicated I would love it as much as I ended up loving it. But I'm like, okay, this is a better direction. Brooklyn Bridge to Chorus, again, I, I liked it. But, uh, you know, and kind of liked it. I liked it more right away, I would say, than the other two. Um, I thought it was a better step in the right direction. But, uh, again, I didn't love it but when the album came out it was enough at that point where i'm like okay i'll check it out and my first thought of the record was it it wasn't the songs were too long it was kind of boring i i didn't love it you know there are a couple there are a couple points where i'm like yeah it's not bad but uh, I wasn't loving it. And then I would say on – but and I liked it enough. Don't get me wrong. I liked it enough to listen to it again. Like sometimes there's albums you don't like lo- – like you just fucking hate it and you'll never listen to it again. Like it wasn't, it wasn't so bad in that way. I didn't have a visceral reaction. I was like, it's just okay. You know, it wasn't great. It's just okay. But I listened to it a few more times. And, yeah, by like listen four, listen five, somewhere in that realm, um, it just clicked. I was like, oh, my God. And uh, for a while there, you know, really, I didn't, I probably didn't break until maybe into the fall, maybe, maybe up until the last few months of the year. I was listening to it maybe daily. Like, I think I listened to it front to back almost on a daily basis. Like, that's how much I listen to this record. Like, this may have been my most, if I'm, if I'm talking most listened to albums of the year, this may have been my most listened to. And I kind of slowed down at the end of the year. I still listen to it. But like there was probably I'd say if this came out in April, it took me a little while to grow on me. I'd say by May it grew on me. Um, so like from May to October, I think I probably listen to it almost once a day um, every day. And, and really, it's funny because I did the same thing when I first, when I first got into them because I really wasn't a fan for years. I'm like, I don't like this fucking band. And then when I finally came around to liking them, like, is this it? I listened to almost once a day for, like, the first year that I listened to it. Like, I loved it. Like, I mean, it took years for me to realize how much I liked them. But, uh, you know, I re- and it's funny to talk about it because it's like I do like the Strokes, but I also don't think they're like the Velvet Underground or something. You know what I mean? Like I don't think they're so profound that it's like something that takes years to understand. It just I, I really wasn't into them for a very long time. But, uh, no, this record is uh, so good. And, and, you know, really now that I've listened to it a bit, I like the variety. You know, I like that there's songs like At the Door and then there's more like – you know, there are some songs that are a little more guitar-driven. What I do like, too, is I think I think they found a good mix where they can do more of the synthy shit that they want to do that, you know, maybe isn't what you traditionally think of with the Strokes. But they also do it with guitar. So it's not just a song where it's either synth or guitar. It's not either or. It's more songs where you have both of them, you know. Um, and that, that's the thing. You know, that that's where I think, you know, at the door they didn't do that. But with the other songs they did it better. Where it's like, all right, there's a little bit of both, you know. I think Brooklyn Bridge, to course, is a good example of that. Like, like both. Like, I think the guitar is very prominent, and so is the synth. You know, it's not one or the other. Both are very prominent, and I, I think, I think it's a sound that really works for them. You know, and and it's funny because it's like, it's kind of like with X, where again, like, like I put this, I put this album, uh, the new Abnormal, up there with the first two records, just like with X, I put with their first four, and it's the same thing where I go. This doesn't sound straight up like the first two Strokes record. I don't. I don't even know that it sounds like vintage Strokes. Maybe maybe a couple times it does. Like I won't say that it doesn't at all, but it's like it doesn't straight up sound like the first two records. It's just the same spirit of just a great band firing on all cylinders and writing a great record that you want to listen to front to back. You know, it's it's just it's like that. And same with X, where it's like Alphabet Land doesn't sound like like say Los Angeles or Wild Gift. It just you know it's it's as good as those records you know it's just like that, but uh, yeah I mean Rick Rubin I think you have to give a lot of uh, credit to I mean you know I mean he's done it with other bands and he did it he's now done it with the Strokes um, you know I, I think he got in there really helped them figure out whatever the hell it was that they needed to figure out but I mean they end up writing the the best record they've had since Room on Fire and uh, yeah you know, and, and as a bass player too, I mean, I, I always love Nikolai. He's a, he's an underrated bass player. He's actually very interesting. And I don't know for a fact, but I would assume he's a, he's kind of Motown influenced by like James Jamerson or Bob Babbitt. Cause I definitely hear it in his bass lines. but I mean, I, I love the, I love the bass rhythms and grooves and shit on uh, this record. I mean, it's so good. My, uh, My favorite three, which I guess is one third of the record because it is only nine songs. I will say they're they're long songs. So it's like it is still like a 45, 50 minute uh, minute album, I think. I want to say it's like in that realm, even though it's only nine songs. But it's kind it kind of is like the old school thing, you know, like with Russian shit where like. They put out a nine song, like an eight or nine song album. You go, what the fuck? But then you look and it's like, oh, well, that song's 21 minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, it sucks. It's only like, like, you know, like eight songs, but it's like, well, one song's 12 minutes, one's 20 minutes, like shit like that. But, uh, though no 20 minute songs on here, but there, there are some fucking long ones for a strokes album, at least for, at least for the strokes, they're long songs. But, uh, my favorite three off of it, why are Sundays so depressing, uh, the Adults Are Talking, Great Album Opener, and Brooklyn Bridge to Chorus. And, uh, and honestly, too, and I love this one so much that actually even picking my favorite three was kind of difficult. Um, I knew Why Are Sunday's So Depressing. That one grew, that one I actually liked from the first time I heard the album. That one was probably one of the big reasons why I listened to it a second time and gave it another chance. But, uh, you know, the whole thing's good. But, yeah, great sign that you really have to think to uh, figure out what your top three are. And uh, number number one, Of my uh, top 20 of uh, 2020, you know, once again, this was a hard list to do so many albums I had to leave out, but uh, I would say my favorite and it it was hard to pick. But uh, this one, this one I knew was going to be up there since the first time I heard it and uh, since it came out, this was not one that surprised me at all. I'm not surprised that it's here. But uh I love this album. The Suicide Machines with Revolution Spring came out back in God damn, can you guess? Do I even have to do I even have to tell you what month this came out in? I think you can guess. I think you can guess what month this fucking album came out in. But uh another one came out very early in the pandemic when you didn't know what was going on back when you thought it might go on a couple more weeks. You didn't know what was happening. And, uh, you know, with all the uncertainty going on, it was nice to get this record. And uh, a really another anticipated one. You know, talking about albums, I've been not even just this year. I mean, uh, Suicide Machines are one of those bands that have been talking about and teasing, writing new music for years. So I've been looking forward to new music from them forever. And uh, I didn't really get into them until like 2012, 2013. So I mean, when I got into them. Yeah, they they. I mean, they play shows. I've seen them live uh, twice. I've seen them live. They're great live. Um, Jason Navarro, who who we had on uh, this year, and and one of my favorite interviews. And you know, for probably for a big reason because he put out my favorite album of the year. But uh, just a, a crazy good frontman who utilized. I told him this, but like. I love how he utilizes being just truly when I say front man, like he doesn't play guitar, like live, he gets out there and he jumps around. He's, he's running around like a madman on the stage. He has charisma. He's jumping in the crowd. He's running around on the stage barrier or, you know, like the crowd barriers and shit. Like he's really utilizing being able to move around and giving you a show. You know, he's amazing. He's just, he's so good at that. You know I mean? And the high energy of suicide machines it just works so well. But, uh, you know, I, I think on this record, again, this is this is a band who it's a vintage Suicide Machines record without sounding like a ripoff. And it goes, this goes just like with the Strokes and just like with X, um, you know, quite a couple of my fair albums of the year. This This I put up there. Like I and really actually I love the Suicide Machines throughout their whole career. They're not a band who I think has ever completely lost it, but I do I'm with everyone else where I think the first two records are the best. Like their first two, the Derek Grant era of the band is them on all on like firing on all cylinders. Like that's the best era. That's them doing their best shit. Now, I always, I love the self-title record. I talked about it on our Slept On Records podcast. I liked the change in sound. You know, I was into it. But I also liked the albums they did for, like, Side One Dummy that were more kind of, uh, even more, kind of more ingrained in a hardcore punk sound, you know. But I think on this record, they went back to that beautiful blend of ska and pop punk that they do so well. You know what I mean? Like Like, there's times on here where, like, you know, they have a very... Kind of they sound like like the bouncing souls or early green day, but it's like they also just have great ska. You know, which again, a ska man with no horn section, but just writes such great ska songs. And uh, you know, really just a blend of ska punk here is uh the best it's been since the first two records, one hundred percent. This is one of their this is not just my favorite album of twenty twenty. This is this is up there as probably my third favorite Suicide Machines record. Um I love it. I love it to death. And uh it's another one where it just it was a no brainer. Like it didn't take time to grow on me. Like this is not this is not a record and it probably has to do too, because it's no nonsense. Like they didn't go and try to write some weird out there record that they never would do. This sounds like an album that the suicide machines would write, but it's a good this is a suit this is a good record the suicide machines would write, and it's one of their fucking best and uh and it did it just grew right away like the first time I heard it I'm like holy shit like it blew me away and uh and another credit to uh you know to giving credit to the producers of these things uh Roger Limer of less <laughs> not Roger Limer uh sorry Roger Lima my apologies Roger Lima of less than Jake one of my favorite bass players one of the biggest reasons I play a stingray bass um and here I am. One of my biggest like bass inspirations. I'm calling the guy Roger Limer like an asshole. Um, my bad, but uh, yeah, Roger producing this record did an amazing job. Uh, you know, which also makes sense. I mean, being being from another great ska man who also put out a great record. Uh, in 2020 with Lesson Jake with Silver Linings. But, uh, you know, I think being behind the board and getting where they're, you know what I mean? Because that's a that's obviously a guy who knows where they're coming from. You know what I mean? Like having a member of less than Jake Produce a Suicide Machines record doesn't sound like a bad idea, if you ask me. And it definitely didn't. It sounds amazing. Um, Roger's a good producer. He's not just some I think some dudes. Become a producer just through their name, you know what I mean? They're like, I'm a guy who's in a prominent band in the scene, so I'm going to use that to go produce, but doesn't really know what that means and doesn't actually really go produce bands. He might more than anything like mix their record, you know what I mean? Like he might like fucking start pushing some knobs, but not really produce the album. And uh, Roger's not like that. Roger is a is a like bona fide producer. And uh, does an amazing job. I I think he did such a good job on here. I think it was a match made in heaven. Like I would, and and going back, same with like X, who, you know, I mean, you know, took years, you know, literally decades for new music and how I hope it doesn't take them longer. Again, with the Suicide Machines, I'm like, and, and, you know, at the same time. And I and I told Jason this. It's like, you know, I know it took him so long, and he just said he wanted to write the perfect album. Like, if he thought songs were shitty or weren't good enough, he didn't want to release it. That's why they for years talked about a new album but never put it out. And it's like, yeah, I don't want them to put out an album every two years. I want them to wait until they have, like, good enough material where they go, this is going to be a great album front to back. But I do hope that, uh, you know, they don't wait super long and continue to try to write and write with Roger even. Like, I, I think, I really think they have something good going writing with Roger. And also the place, I forget where it is, but uh, uh, Jason said he records, like, I think everything he said basically of, like, the last decade that he's recorded has been there. Like, all his Break Anchor stuff, all this shit with Jay Navarro and the Traders, um, Hellmouth. Well, I, I'm trying to remember. Hellmouth might have been broken up before he started recording there. But anyway, I mean, all the music he's been recording in recent years has been done there, and just the formula of recording at that studio, uh, you know, recording with Roger and everything. I, I just, I, I think it really, it really seems to work. It really seems to be a match that uh, makes sense for everyone involved. So it's like, I, uh, I don't think that's a bad, that's a bad, a bad route to, uh, keep going down, you know, for a while and, uh, kind of see where it goes and same with label. I mean, this, this is their first is their first release on fat. And I think it just works so well. Like, you know, I feel like they always would have fit on fat records, but I think particularly on this record, they sound like a band who, uh, who fits on, who fits on the label, you know, it's not a left field release from them at all. And, uh, and I love it. I think Jason really stepped up too. I think some of his most personal lyrics, I mean and it's classic suicide machines. You have songs like Bolian Blue which uh you know like tackle police brutality and stuff. Like you you have the socially conscious songs, but you also have, you know, songs about personal things like one of my favorite songs trapped in the Bom- or trapped in a bomb off the album. And uh, really my favorite song off the album, one of my favorite, it's already one of my favorite just suicide machine songs I think, but it's like it's a very personal song obviously about a friend. And, uh, you know, just very personal, personal uh, things and just very in a way that, I mean, I think they have written in the past, but maybe even more so on this one, you know, where it's like, I think he's just extremely honest. I also, I do think that you have to give credit, another place to give credit is I think him doing shit with Break Acre and uh, doing shit with like Jay Navarro and the Traders and having these different outlets and and venturing down different sounds and, and routes musically like, I do think there's probably some credit there, too, you have to give to why this album came out so good. Because, again, this this is their first record in, I think, 15 or 16 years. So it's like, you know, it's not like they've had a lot of practice. Like, you know, they've, they've tried writing shit and stuff, but they haven't been releasing albums in between. So, you know, to just come back and come back so strong and put out one of your best records in literal decades, I mean, it's just fucking amazing, you know. And uh, on this one, my top three would, uh, you know, like I mentioned, Trapped in a Bomb. I think the best song on it, but also Empty Time and uh, Cheers to You," uh, a great album closer. You know, Bully and Blue, great album opener, and Cheers to You" is a great album closer. And uh, this is a hard one, too, because another great thing that I love about it, and actually I got to give them credit. This is actually a long record. There's a lot of songs on this album, but... They can there. It's a consistently good album, though. All the songs are good, which can be very difficult because a lot of punk bands will go down that route and write like a 17 track album. But like four or five of the last songs are forgettable. You know what I mean? Like that? Like it's a strong album. Then you get to like track 13 and you tune out until the last one or two songs. And with this, you don't do that. So, like that—that that in itself is something to give credit to, because a lot of bands fail in that—that that they do a long album, you know, an album that has a lot of songs on it, but not all the songs are good. But that's not the case here. This album keeps you entertained front to back. I love the whole thing. It is a great ska punk record, um, good year round. I mean, I would say it's a good a good uh, uh, summer record, you know, as ska records tend to be. But uh, also just year round. I mean, I think they just knocked it out of the park. This ended up being to come back again. You can write a reunion album and it can fucking suck, but uh, you can also write one and it can be amazing. And that's what uh, the Suicide Machines did with the Revolution Spring. And uh, so yeah, definitely go check that out. Like I said, uh, go check out on our Spotify page the accompanying playlist to this. It is uh, I put three songs off all all ten of these uh, all ten of these records. And, uh, you know, give you a little taste of uh, everything. So I'm going to run down my list again real quick. Number 10 was High on Stress with Hold Me In. My number 9 favorite record of 2020 was Wildlife with Year of the Snake. Number 8 was Ultimate Fakebook Book with The Preserving Machine. So, so good. Number 7, Jeff Rosenstock with No Dream, a surprise release and one of the best uh number 6 get dead with dancing with the curse a very anticipated one for me. At number 5 Violent Soho with everything is okay. Number 4 X with Alphabet Land, a band 40 years in putting out some of their music, some of their best music yet. And uh, number 3 Bomb Pops with Death in Venice Beach. Number two with The Strokes of The New Abnormal. And number one, The Suicide Machines with Revolution Spring. That is my top ten records of 2020. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, hit me up, powercordhour at gmail.com. I want to know what your favorite records of the year was, uh, whether it's songs or, or particular albums, whatever. Let me know what some of your favorites were. And, uh, you know, off the top of my head, like I said, it was hard to make – There's so many good records in 2020, it was hard to whittle them down to 10. But uh, I did do an episode earlier in the year, my top, my top, uh, I can't remember. I think I either did top 10 or top five albums of 2020 so far. I did it like, you know, like in the middle of the year, kind of more in the summertime. And it would be interesting to go back and see what has changed and what stayed the same. You know, like, like I know some of these albums were definitely on there. And then some fell off, you know, like there's definitely some albums that I thought earlier in the year were going to be in my top 10 that just didn't like if like if I was doing a top 15, there's definitely ones that uh, that I can already think of that would pop on there. But like, yeah, like it would I think for time's sake, because i mean, we're already at two hours here, but like more for time's sake and everything, I try to stay at top 10. But I mean, yeah, I mean, there were so many albums I probably could have even, even though I think it's a bit ridiculous getting too much bigger than top 10, I probably could have even done like a top 20 if I'm being honest. So, you know, once again, shitty year, yes. Good year for music, you know, like shitty year overall, but a good year for music, which, uh, you know, so that's like the one silver lining in it all. And uh, 2021, we'll see. You know, I have high hopes. I know there's a lot of cool anticipated music for the year. And uh, maybe on an upcoming episode, we'll talk about, like, anticipated releases of 2021. But, uh, again, you know, that's the episode. Thank you so much for checking out the Power Chord Hour, sticking with us for another year. Hopefully your 2021 has been rad so far. And uh, give us a follow online at Power Chord Hour On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, we're on uh, Spotify. Our playlists are up there. You can check out the one for this podcast and tons of others. And uh, you can also check out the podcast there if you're not listening there. And uh, new podcasts every Monday. We are going on a little winter break, not yet, but in a couple weeks here. I'll let you know before we do. Um, I'll announce it right before we go on it. But we are going to take a couple weeks off. Uh, I don't like like I know some podcasts do like the whole seasons thing and we're not doing that. It's not like the end of season one or any fucking bullshit like that. We don't have seasons. I just do these every week until, you know, unless I can't. So uh, we're going to take a little break, though, for just a few weeks. But uh, and I already have. And you know what? Even though it's not even happening yet, like I'm talking about now, even though it's not happening for a few weeks, I already have a few things set aside to keep you to kind of keep you held over. During the break, so it won't even be total radio silence from us. But, uh, yeah, so until that little break, though, new episodes every Monday. And uh, we have some good ones coming up. But uh, I'm excited for the new year, see what we do with the show. The new uh, new radio show, you know, new uh, those are new every Friday night. Uh, 10 Eastern to midnight on 107.9 WRFA in Jamestown, New York. You can listen to us online at WRFALP.com. You can stream the station there, listen to all the great programming on the station, not just the Power Court Hour. And uh, yeah, uh, uh, you know, go go subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and if you would rate and review us on iTunes, send me a screenshot, and I'll send you a Power Chord Hour t-shirt absolutely free, I also have some stickers to give away, so uh, you can hit me up, at gmail.com and uh, yeah, that is going to be it. So those are my top 10 of 2020. It is time. You know, that is that is our reflection of uh, 2020, and now it is time to move on. And I'm very excited to check back next week our episode. Uh, I, got the, I got the Dream Team back together. I got the two uh, – I got the Illinois bad boys back. I got Zach and Kyle, who you may remember from our uh, Top 5 Blink-182 episode. And uh, Top 5 Blink-22 Songs episode, sorry. And, uh, and and that's just together. Individually, uh, Zach was also the Top 5 drive drive-through Record songs he was on. And Kyle, Kyle Steven, he's been on now. I mean, my God, this is like his fifth appearance. I mean, what hasn't he been on? He's been on Talk About a bunch of different shit. And uh, he's always fun. And uh, we did, you know, honestly, I listened back to it and it's like, you know, I mean the podcast is pretty laid back and candid like I feel like I am myself on here but like when I'm just doing the episodes of just friends I do feel like there's a different vibe than like if I'm interviewing someone or even if I'm doing a solo one. And it's just kind of three friends just being stupid. And, like, this one is so much just shit talking. It's us talking about our unpopular music opinions. So it's, like, it's just pi- It's us piling on each other being, like, you're a fucking idiot for thinking that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so fun. Like, I'm listening back and it's just so ridiculous. Like, it, it's so, it's very much a laid back, you know, ridiculous, dumb jokes, you know, foul potty mouth all that. But it's very fun. So that'll be next week. Uh, Unpopular Music Opinions with Zach and Kyle. So check back for that. But until then, for the Power Chord Hour, I'm Anthony Merchant. Thanks for listening.